passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting live just moments after AEW's all-in event, or as I like to call it, the go-home for All Out. I guess you could call it that. I can't believe we're doing this again next weekend. Um, yes, yes. Well, get used to it. I feel like this is uh, next year where it might be a similar schedule. Let's talk about that right off the top. At the end of the show, they announced that they have booked Wembley Stadium for August 25th of 2024 so i mean certainly you look at the response to this what do you think about not so much continuing all in as a stadium event but going to the same building the same market a second year in a row do you just look at the success of this show and let's try it again like this was a big success for year one we or do you think that this could have been something like you tour at like your big wrestlemania stadium event yeah, um, it certainly was surprising to me. You know, we know Tony Khan loves his sort of um annual destinations, and um, I I didn't didn't think didn't think that um an eighty thousand plus arena would be one of those yearly destinations. But when you look at the business of this particular uh, event, I mean, it kind of makes all the sense in the world to try to replicate it, even if you're not going to beat this record. I have to imagine, even you know, at partial capacity, this has been a more than incredibly profitable night for this company. And the attention now goes to next weekend and what impact this has on coming back seven days later with another pay-per-view. And do you continue that Labor Day tradition next year? I, They might not even know that answer until they see how next weekend goes. But mm-hmm. to our discussion earlier this week, it's not like you came out of this show and you had an automatic idea of what is the big match for next weekend. That remains to be seen and i would say you're unless they do anything on social media you're talking about a couple day build that starts on wednesday for what i would say are the money matches on this card which it does not have any of yet or the press conference which we should add is going on presently so we will be updated hopefully um you know throughout the evening in case any sort of breaking news occurs but i have to imagine yeah the build is is starting probably right this second the press conference the uh the big build well, we are going to be getting into the show, and then we will be opening it up. If anyone wants to uh, call in, the uh, the StreamYard link has been sent out to our members at postwrestlingcafe.com, which is your way to uh, get all of our bonus shows each and every week and to help support post-wrestling on a weekly basis. Um, so you can go uh, check out that. Um, 
Let us get into the show. And then there are many news stories that will come out of that. Uh, a lot to uh, to cover on on this particular event. And when it comes to those calling in, uh, I would love to hear if anyone attended uh, the show in London and any of the shows this weekend. I did not get to see all of it, but I saw most of the Rev Pro card. But you also had a, a progress r- running, um, a lot going on in the UK. So um, unless everybody that was at the show is now off to the uh, the Grapple and Poison Rana after party uh you know could be could be love to hear from people show who your ticket stub and you get in free yes mm-hmm. so this show if 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 these many hours was not enough they actually started the pre-show an hour earlier than advertised so uh at 11 a.m eastern time renee paquette was going on live with uh paul white anthony agogo and kip sabian and this was uh they were s- set up like uh well up in in the perch, very uh, very famous backdrop if you are a, a football fan. And Rene Paquette opened up the broadcast with a, a quote from Wyndham Rotunda of his wrestling is not a love story. It's a fairy tale for masochists and a very nice tribute to open the show and other tributes that would be uh, dispersed throughout the show for both Terry Funk and Wyndham Rotunda. Yeah, um, maybe nothing within like the, you know, like a grand gesture, you know, um, that was a part of the show itself. But throughout the the wrestling, you know, you you did have little callbacks and here and there. I mean, for the House of Black entrance, I mean, that was a pretty uh, with the lantern. I mean, that was a pretty. Oh, OK. I did. I completely missed that. So Buddy Matthews came out with a lantern. Yeah. OK. And placed it down. So that was a pretty wow. um, significant uh, one in there. But yeah, a bunch of Terry Funk spots. We'll get into that. And dude, if there's a sub theme to this show, it was Tony Khan putting all open his his Spotify playlist and dude spending. We thought, okay, he got Machine Head for this the show, okay? He got Queen, <laughs> he got a Metallica song, and not even like the the like WCW like kind of rip off one that you know. It was like the full Metallica Seek and Destroy that yeah. he got for Sting's entrance. Not the live version, yeah, yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, and Tony Khan has always gotten these songs like in perpetuity as well for the future, like broadcast of these shows. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we said there was a sports business journal article that came out today and it was estimated that the cost of when of renting Wembley was somewhere in the neighborhood of like four to $500,000. But I mean, this event is expected to gross uh, a ton of money, uh, obviously, but this was, you know, it, it was a sizable undertaking for, for this company of just, and the amount of money that was put in that we don't have a dollar figure of stuff like music rights and all of the marketing uh, behind the event to promote this it's it, without question the the biggest show in company history i would i would say the the by far the biggest um day in the company's history and that's uh, including like it's it's launch everything i think this is like this is whatever your your next phase of aew this is what this show would represent to people agreed so um th- throughout the, uh, the the two hour pre-show i mean there was a contract signing with uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro uh, setting up uh, next weekend's match and um, uh, Miro just cutting a promo on Hobbs and a, a pull apart. Tony Schiavone was in the ring and then interrupted by Jeff Jarrett and company. And this was our first of many uh, just heel tactics against the, uh, the the UK fans, calling them wankers. And that Jarrett said, it's the American wrestlers that paved the way for this event. This was pretty much Jeff Jarrett in uh, th- this was like a, Triple A, Jeff Jarrett in Mexico, only his uh, he was attacking the UK fans in his promo, said that this is not because of Big Daddy or uh, Haystacks. It was uh, or Haystacks Calhoun. It was a 
uh, or a local yokel program like World of Sport. It's because of the Crockett's and the Grams. And this leads to Paul White coming out with Anthony Agogo and Grado. And uh, if there was any maybe um, discipline on the uh, the Tony Khan music spending spree, he put his foot down at um, Madonna, I guess. For a kickoff show, you know, I I think that would be a pretty wise, you know, saving of, of the budget. Well, you, you could argue why Grado was on this to begin with. I mean, who knows at this point, like what original plans might have been. Um, I get the sense that maybe, um, you know, speculation that a Grado Jeff Jarrett match was actually going to occur might have been overblown. Um, it, it, why he was on the show, maybe just to kind of play off maybe some online fervor as it relates to, you know, Jeff Jarrett and Grado. Well, regardless, it just resulted in the heels all being laid out and Grado getting his uh, his receipt in by nailing Jeff Jarrett with a guitar shot. But just quick angle for the show. And uh, RJ City was the, the roving reporter uh, throughout Wembley Stadium, uh, which was a lot of fun. And then we go to our first match of many, Aussie Open against MJF and Adam Cole for the ROH tag titles. And Aussie Open, great heel uh tactic at the beginning they cut off the adam cole baby and this crowd was so angry like you're gonna make make us wait five hours to get that adam cole baby out later so they attacked them hit the collider on the floor and this was such a simple match it was about two things it was about the kangaroo kick and it was about the double clothesline and when are we going to get the two most simple moves on the show that are going to generate among the biggest reactions of the show. And we teased MJF's dive, which ended up being uh, uh, a tease throughout the night uh, involving the two matches with MJF and Cole. Finally, MJF lands the kangaroo kick. And this was pretty much him jumping in the air and drop kicking both simultaneously. Yeah, basically a drop kick. But and got, he got the biggest reaction. I, dude, I've he got out. He, he did a kip up and then shook shook the ropes. And dude, this place went insane. Okay, mm. they call for the double clothesline. They hit the double clothesline on Kyle Fletcher, and they pin him in seven minutes. They win the tag titles, and that's it. MJF hoists up his uh, title belt as him and Cole have the face off, and that's it. We would see them in the main event. Um, pretty simple. And the story is that. They are now ROH tag champions and more to come in the main event. Mm-hmm. When this match was announced, I mean, I, 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 like most people thought it was really peculiar, you know, not often would you see this sort of thing on a pre-show. Um, and I wondered if they were slotting it here as some way to really kind of like um, build tensions into the main event. And it really didn't deliver that. Um, what it did was basically ending like, you know, set up the further continuation of this tag team. It was more of a setup for the future rather than, than a setup for tonight. Um, and I thought it was perfectly fine. You know, like you you might have expected maybe something like this on an episode of Dynamite prior to decide to feature it on a big stage like this in the pre-show, maybe even as a way to hook other viewers onto, onto uh, watching the pay-per-view, I think is like a fine business idea. And I would even say successful. Um, they certainly took no risk here. No, no unnecessary risk. You know, it was a very dark match level no. type of match. You know, no dives, minimal bumps, relying a lot on crowd work and personality which they did a great job of laying the foundation for in the weeks leading up to this and again you can't blame them for that they completely earned this great reaction this match got through the continued teasing of the double well kangaroo kick and then of course the double clothesline as well 
considering this was a show that was going to have a very uh, prominent involvement of Brian Danielson, Jamie Hayter, Pac, I could certainly see this being one that uh, maybe Tony Khan was very hands-on in, in that this was going to be, yes, mm-hmm. the safest match you were going to see on this show, and we were not going to risk anything um, for, for, for later. And then in a, well, not not so much of a surprise because uh, th- there were photos of her that she posted herself before uh, conveniently deleting uh, being in London. And there is Mercedes Monet that was shown in the crowd and was there presumably for the whole show because there were cutaways to her later on in the card. And I thought that this was going to set up to some challenge or anything. We did not get that on the show, but um, super popular every time they showed her and uh and, and people buzzing like it's like they're certainly building to maybe something very very quickly with her it seems like it i mean the commentary seems to indicate as much you know it almost like if you listen to the commentary they're almost indicating her as uh you know putting the locker room on notice or something to that extent and i i think there's a good chance that prior to her injury this was going to be the destination for mercedes anyway eventually ending up in AEW at some point but this was pretty much about as blatant of like you know hey like this it's the takeover who's in the front row uh, you know the spot as you could get with mercedes yeah, I don't want to get into the trap of uh, criticizing something before it even happens. But I mean, if like if if the destination is her and Soraya, like there's so much history there with you know Soraya's oh, yeah. injury and everything. Mm-hmm. I would hope that that's not something that's just thrown together for next weekend, um, where it's Mercedes. Yeah, do we even know if she's ready to come back from injury? I mean, it's been several months at this point. It's remains hmm. to be seen, but that's. You know, that's going to be. I mean, if that was the case, I I would have uh, expected them to do maybe something. I thought it was weird how they didn't really cut back to her during the women's match itself. You know, they They cut back to her during the House of Black match when Julia Hart got involved. Well, maybe that's her first target. Mm -hmm. Well, we we will see what is uh, next for her. Lexi Nair interviewed Dr. Britt Baker. Uh, This was a pretty good promo. She says the women's division has been complacent and it's been cruising along the path that she paved. And she's like, what's up? Why do we only get one match per show in the same segment? She didn't say that part, but lists off her accolades and admits she felt complacent and allowed herself to take a backseat and assume that someone would rise to the occasion. But there's only one me and I'm here to show everyone I'm the baddest bitch on the block. Tonight we make history and I leave as champion and a new era begins. Mm. So I thought I thought this was a, a nice promo from Baker. Jim Ross then joined Excalibur and Taz for the second half of the zero hour and the first couple of matches on the pay-per-view. Jack Perry against Hook, uh, which is probably going to be one of the more discussed matches, but not for the (laughs) reasons that you would assume going into this, which is Hook bringing the FTW title back to the family after nearly being retired on collision on Saturday night. Mm. So Jack Perry is chauffeured to the ring in a limo which Jim Ross downplays that, well, it's not a stretch limo. It's not a, as big of a limo as it could be. And Taz notes, <laughs> well, it does have six doors. It's it's still pretty big. <laughs> JR was saying how, you know, Jack Perry's going to hear it from some of the guys backstage that it's not a stretch limo. <laughs> what oh, a, wow. What a nitpick. Interesting. So the match begins near the entrance and it's no rules. So Hook is attacking him and runs Jack Perry into the open door of the limo and then suplexes him onto the roof, which uh, thankfully didn't give way like the uh, the JBL Undertaker gimmick roof in Toronto. Remember that one? Um, no, not at this point. But 
Well, Perry takes a fisherman suplex onto the windshield and uh, Perry slices his arm. And we've also got Hook with a wound on his shoulder. And the key moment is Jack Perry. Well, uh, before that, you had a a wonderful rolling thunder through the on 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 top of the roof. Um, These are what limos are made for. Oh, yeah. You can't do this on a minivan. But would the spot have looked more impressive if he had more runway on a stretch limo? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So Jack Perry looks into the camera and says, real glass, go cry me a river. <laughs> Obviously a reference to Justin Timberlake and no. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I listened to this and I was like, I cannot fathom that this dude on this show, this is like what's on your mind to get your little line in on television. And this is before any of the story breaks. I was just like, I'm writing this down. And I'm saying the worst thing is all of these stupid little lines that have to be, it's like all these little zingers that we've got to get in, in all these different references across everyone from the counterfeit bucks to the bucks and Omega doing their, their biting spots and the, the tripping up on the buckshot layer, like all these little things where it's like, we've got to do our little nod to like the smallest audience out there. And <laughs> I don't know if can, it's that small, John, it's obviously not that small. And oh, yeah. well, I, in terms of just like, just all of this stuff. And so within a half hour, uh, Sean Ross Sapp reports that there was uh, and PW insiders while reporting that there was a, a backstage incident involving Jack Perry and CM Punk. And for the backstory here, because I'm sure not everyone is up to speed here. This relates to uh, an incident involving Jack Perry and CM Punk on a collision weeks back when Jack Perry, Jack Perry was set to go on. He had a vacation scheduled and he was going to do some kind of angle and wanted to use real glass And allegedly CM Punk thought like this was um, a poor idea, basically. And so this this gets out. And this is the reference that Perry is referring to here in the middle of this match. And then they get to the back and we're going to hear conflicting stories of who did what. I'm less I'm less concerned about parsing through who did what what happened. There was an incident. And wherever you want to place blame, go for it. I'm so way past just trying to figure this all out but it's just a never-ending bit of drama that as i said weeks ago just get used to this continuing to happen this is going to happen on a regular basis and we're going to have our regular players involved and the stuff is going to continue and it's just unbelievable to me that this is a thing on like this giant show for them and and this is going to be a story coming out of it but i'm i'm beyond exhausted on this stuff right yeah um I thought like the line was actually clever, you know, to take take advantage of something that has been discussed heavily online. There happened to be a glass spot in this particular match and to draw reference to it as um, sort of like, hey, like, mm, like a meta referential, like sort of like nod to a controversy that's out there. I thought it was well done. And I but, would have but also you know like there's these real issues no, going stop, on. No, stop, stop, stop. I I would have expected that something like this would have been cleared with all parties that might have been. Insulted. Yes, because there's been such a sterling uh, history of all these lines. Well, being do you blame me for thinking that something like that might be changed? 
you know, at a time when, when things are as, as sensitive as, as they might be right now? No, because I think that it's clearly been shown time after time after time that these things are not respected. And okay, that- so then what do you blame? I don't necessarily blame the spot itself. I blame the fact that some of these issues have not that still haven't really been settled in the back and that people, whoever they are, can feel emboldened enough to engage in physical contact on a show in the backstage area, you know, because they had a, a difference of of, uh, you know, opinion on a creative issue or maybe even the fact that something like this was able to take place on air without it being signed off on. Yeah, I would say, listen, there's. Obviously, Jack Perry felt like this was something I needed to get into. First of all, at the very base level, it's like we're 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 making just a reference that like, yeah, you would think like we're just using fake glass here in in the middle of our like hardcore match that we're like in the body of the show. I think it just is like just kind of interrupts the flow right there on on top of it all. Like this is involving this individual in CM Punk that it's like all this stuff is around. So it's like, we're just going to continue to poke things. And that does not mean that he is owed like some confrontation in the back. But again, all of this is going to continue. And the fact that like this was necessary, that this line had to be used in this moment and on the air, and it's not cleared ahead of time and we're not working towards anything. And it's not a story that we're, we're, we're going to be making any money off of. It was just, let me get my little dig in. And, and then there was a blow up. And are we surprised that there was a blow up? I don't think we should be at this point. Rightly or wrongly. I mean, obviously CM Punk, you know, if these reports are true, he would have taken it as a dig at himself. I also feel like you could interpret it simply as Jack Perry making a dig at something that was a story involving him. It was a story that I think was also very critical of Jack Perry. You know, I think Punk, I I would say most agreed with CM Punk. You know, it, like, it, again, if those sto- if the story is true, that why would you want to use real glass? It's the stupidest thing. Yeah, I, it, on, on its own, on its own. I, I don't think most people would have disagreed with right. Punk's so if so, Punk, so Jack Perry saying a line like this, I almost took it as much as to be able to say, all you people who criticize me for, you know, wanting to use real glass, well, I'm going to use real glass. Wink, wink, you know? Um not in a million years not that I us think... what i don't know um, well like not in a million years that i think any sort of physical confrontation would come out of it nor did i feel like you know um somebody like punk would get offended by it because i i don't even necessarily feel like it was targeted to him but obviously you know cry me a river like i mean part of this is also playing heel um I didn't think it was egregious, but I mean, also, that's also under the impression that everything was cleared with all parties involved afterwards. But the fact that we even have to walk on eggshells to throw in a little, like, you know, meta referential line in the middle of a wrestling match, I think is pretty silly already. On its foundation way, I wouldn't disagree with you, but it's all of these meta referential lines that have blown up to be these giant issues. And you have... People throwing rocks in fake glass houses where that's unfortunately what all of this, all of this stuff has blown up to from the, the, the workers rights line that was exactly designed to be something that they were actually were in a feud and building to a match. And look what that erupted into. And, And we can go through all of them of these little lines, these little things where we're trying to convey realism. And this was one where, yeah, maybe on its own. Okay, cool. It's a it's a nod for an audience. I think a much smaller audience than maybe you think are really getting this. And we're not going anywhere with it. So what was the purpose of it? And again, it's just you have such a sensitive environment. And 
it's just the latest thing. But it's this is only a symptom of the greater problem that all of this exists. And anyway, to that point, PW Insider reporting that Jack Perry was told to leave the venue after there was whatever this altercation was and and how physical it got or did not yet. And uh, and Punk and this is happening 10 minutes before Punk's match as well, before uh, because they were on pretty much back to back here from this match until the start of the pay-per-view. Okay, we might be losing you, Way. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, uh, getting back, back to the match here, um, they move their way down to the ringside area. And here is where uh, Jack Perry delivers a draping DDT to hook off of the barricade. And then he goes to tease the Van Terminator and has the trash can set up on top of hook. But then rather than go for the pop, he hops down and the crowd is furious that they didn't get to see the Van Terminator. And he gives the, the middle fingers to the crowd, which was a good spot. Perry then uses a tiger driver, misses a moonsault after placing a trash can onto hook. And then it's hook with a trash can shot to the head. And he starts delivering cross faces locks on the red rum and Jack Perry taps out at eight minutes and 23 seconds. And a very cool part here was Taz, who you could see getting like emotional here, watching Jack Perry uh, lose the title to his son uh, in front of all of these fans and uh, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I, I think the Taz strikes such a great balance of, you know, that he's got, you know, he's calling his son's matches, but it never is to the detriment of the match where that relationship overshadows things. And then, you know, you play it straight and it's like hooks his own man and he doesn't get, you know, when the time is right that he maybe responds to like a beat down angle or something like that, but largely just plays it down the middle. And then you have a moment like this where you know, he kind of gets to step out of uh, broadcaster mode and into father mode, uh, watching his son legitimately um, having this career accomplishment wrestling on this gigantic show. Uh, and it was a, a cool little moment here. So Hook is your new FTW champion. Uh, and that was the conclusion of the Zero Hour uh, pre-show. We will continue on and uh, move on to the pay-per-view and our pay-per-view broadcast team at the start was Excalibur, Jim Ross, and Nigel McGuinness. And I thought uh, Nigel McGuinness had a really great show for those that maybe are not familiar. He of course attended the 1992 SummerSlam and he credits that show as really fostering his dream of becoming a professional wrestler. He went, he was a giant ultimate warrior fan and that kind of, you know, really kickstarted his his dream to become a pro wrestler and then uh, uprooting himself, going over to train with Les Thatcher and then coming up on the independent scene and going, of course, up through Ring of Honor and, you know, always crediting like SummerSlam 92 as a big, a pivotal moment in his childhood. So uh, at, at one point later in the show, he notes that, you know, that was what really started his dream of becoming a pro wrestler. And hopefully there's someone in this audience that that, that dream is going to begin for them, too. And Taz just deadpans and says, you know, I got into pro wrestling because I needed a job. It was a, a great uh, comeback line from Taz and the uh, the different paths for both into professional wrestling. So the pay-per-view portion, it kicked off with the aforementioned CM Punk. So, I mean, what an episode of All Access this would have been from the, the Jack Perry uh, match with Hook to going into the back, whatever going down here with a with CM Punk and then Punk uh, turning around and coming to do a, a 14 minute match, uh, bleeding a gusher and uh, re retaining his title against Samoa Joe. So this was for the, the real world championship and waiting is back 
and also back on the show was completely bald headed CM Punk. What did you think of the the Wembley look for for Punk? Did he? I didn't realize there was a change. I mean, it was just uh, it seemed like a a a closer cut for uh, for CM Punk here. Um, (laughs) But we're just getting into Punk and Joe here kicking off the pay per view, and um, they had a really entertaining opener. There were for for fans of theirs um, a number of different callback spots uh, for Punk. Uh, He was doing a lot of uh, Terry Funk stuff, Um, and this audience like they came out and. It was maybe like 60-40 for Joe, maybe even 50-50, but it quickly turned into a very pro Samoa Joe crowd. Um, And dude, Samoa Joe was having the time of his life during this match. And uh, Punk, you know, he did navigate on on the fly here. And he pretty much just worked the rest of the match as a heel uh, up until the the ending point. But what did you think just about the, the, the crowd reaction and the way they went in this? I have to imagine they, at this point, you know, any, any punk appearance, you know, they might be expecting a more negative CM Punk reaction. And I think the reputation that, you know, a, a British, you know, London crowd has, I, I feel like they might've expected this. So it, you had, I think a pretty effective, you know, decision in having Samoa Joe more so portrayed as the baby face and punk really leading towards being a heel. So we, they go to the floor and Punk avoids one of the Olay kicks when he is seated ringside, but then later would hit it. He did the teeter-totter spot on the middle rope as a, a tribute to Terry Funk. And then Punk goes for a Pascato to the floor and Joe does the walk-off as Punk just spills there. And then Joe, he starts singing, he starts dancing, and then hits the Olay kick to Punk. Maybe my favorite sequence on the entire show. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Man created a a meme in record time in this match. And then he swings Punk into the desk and Punk is bleeding profusely here. Our first bit of blood on the show. Call back to, you know, one of the big spots from the original trilogy against the guardrail. Yes. Uh, And I stand corrected because we we, we already have blood technically with Hook and uh, Jack Perry because there was real glass. Uh, as you know, uh, <laughs> and so he, not only does joe swing him into the desk but then the middle finger and punk avoids a muscle buster lands the head kick both are down and then punk slams him to the mat and you think he's going for a five knuckle shuffle and dude, he's in full heel mode knowing what this audience is going to hate but instead of the five knuckle shuffle he cups the ears and we get a Hulk Hogan at Wembley Stadium reference, which, I mean, I think Punk is really on top of the news when that story resurfaced this week with Hogan's latest uh, interview. What's the story? So in his book, Hogan talked about working at Wembley Stadium at SummerSlam and a Make-A-Wish kid that that died and then writing a song with Jimmy Hart about it. And this was always one of those, like, you weren't with the company when they when they ran Wembley Stadium. And... A few years after his book came out, I was on uh, I was on this like uh, phoner with him and I asked him about it. And he and he gave me like, oh, it's like I got I got the year wrong or something like that. It's like (laughs) you've never wrestled at Wembley Stadium, like never. You've never wrestled at Wembley Stadium. And it's always and then so he repeated the story this week. And I mean, he had he did this long interview and I think part of it like. At this point, there probably is some horrific memory issues, but mm-hmm. it's also Hulk Hogan who has just created his own history. And yeah. I mean, if he wrote his Wikipedia page, it would be flagged. Um, so anyway, just the fact that we got like a Hulk Hogan spot at Wembley Stadium, like I read CM Punk as a deep cut kind of guy. And 
I certainly that, that well, he's been fun. doing the, the the leg drop at like in all his matches as well. I just oh, thought yeah. with this week and with Wembley and Hogan, like th- this was like a lot of people picked up on this and like the Wembley story, but nonetheless, does the leg? You drop... think Hulk Hogan might uh, be might have been waiting backstage for him after this? Could have been. You know what? Hmm. Um, might might have been. Is Hogan going to be? Uh, maybe maybe Hogan will show up at Chicago next week. Maybe. Joe kicks out at one from the leg drop. Great, great use. You know what? I I would say great one count kick out. But the best of the weekend was Ishii and Luke Jacobs, who tore it down um, at the Rev Pro Show. And those one count kickouts were magnificent. Spinning toe hold, another funk spot by CM Punk, and then runs into the, the STO in the corner. And then fighting on the turnbuckle, CM Punk brings out the Pepsi plunge off the turnbuckle and wins the match in 1358 and then salutes the crowd. But it was kind of like reverting back to babyface CM Punk for the post-match, but mm. by for 90% of this match, dude, Punk was just working as a heel and I thought it fit him really well. And Joe was, I, I really enjoyed this match. It was one where, like, I figured they'd have a good match, but I also looked at this one as just, like, it didn't have, to me, the steam that, like, the last television match had just in the lead-up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was maybe a good placement for it in, to kick things off and definitely was... I enjoyed this more than the TV match they had a few weeks ago. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I thought the match was really good, you know, and I thought they played with the negative punk reaction really well by having him, you know, engage in some very fun heel shenanigans. I love the table spot as a callback. I thought Joe looked great as this badass baby face. Um, the Hulk up spot was a lot of fun. And I would say by the end of the match, I certainly felt like they had an extra gear within them. Like, you know, uh, maybe a few kickouts, a few GTS teases, but we're reminded that this is only an opening match. And perhaps, you know, what they gave us was uh, maybe um, some thought was put into conserving the crowd for the later bouts that did have, you know, some of those big near falls. Um, I think the Pepsi plunge makes a lot of sense to use as a finish given their history. I mean, it's a sort of a spectacular looking move anyway to pull it in the stadium setting. Um, and it reestablishes it as, you know, one of CM Punk's finishers. So, um, you know, um, I don't think this ends the entire thing because um, no. Punk has won the last two, but if we include only the original tr- three trilogy matches in ROH, they're actually two and two with one draw. So they can set up, you know, build to maybe uh, one final third or sorry, sixth, I, I guess, of their ROH slash AEW trilogy uh, until and maybe promote it as a final match. What if they do a cinematic match and film it at the Fieldhouse in Chicago Ridge and just air it next uh, Sunday? Uh, um, no, maybe they should just move all out to um, Chicago Ridge. <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe. all in twenty twenty five. Okay, okay, the Frontier Fieldhouse. Two nights. Who would have thought? I was like coming out of this show. I mean, may I don't know if you you have uh, the juice for another Joe match, especially in a week's time, but. Not I mean, for Chicago, like for down the road. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, who's coming out of this that is the obvious direction for Punk? I don't feel Ricky Starks is that opponent, even though they've made the suspension lifted in time for next Sunday. Like, I don't know. It's um, like, quite honestly, I would I would do you need something big, big with Punk, like to the level of, you know, who is another big winner on this show, like like an Osprey level. Uh, I think it'll be Starks just just kind of given you know the this the story up until this point um because if not Starks then who well I I thought we'd have a clear idea coming out of this pay-per-view 
Jay White, Juice Robinson, and Konosuke Takeshita against the golden elite of Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and Kota Ibushi. We've got the guns in the corner. Don Callis is on commentary. Uh, Ibushi and Jay White square off. This was the uh, main event of the second night at Wrestle Kingdom 15 in 2021. And Callis is berating Omega, calling him mentally weak, and he's got his crutch here, Kota Ibushi. Uh, they had the heat on Omega for a long period of time. And then Ibushi is in, and Omega and Ibushi do the cross slash. Um, the to, golden triangle the the golden triangle yes mm-hmm. um white is then sent but, into, but abushi slipped unfortunately you and know they called it out too that he yeah. uh that he slipped it's mm-hmm. um they, they've had their issues sometimes with it with the timing it's a it's a tough spot to pull off and all these years removed i don't know how many times they've been practicing this probably not so much in recent years but i mean i i do unfortunately have to say it does maybe you know add some more sort of like um leverage to the argument that this is not the same Kota Ibushi as we last saw him, you know, in his in his latest uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling run. So, still, still a bit to you know maybe live up to of his past. Uh, they got into some some big suplex spots here. White was uh, sent into a German and then a bridging half and half by Ibushi, and they go for the Kamagoye, but Jay White avoids, tries to the Blade Runner, it stopped, and then Takeshita lands the Blue Thunder Bomb, which Excalibur explains he adopted from El Generico. Omega follows with a Poison Rana, and then uh, Takeshita is hit with the fallaway moonsault by Hangman Page off of the top rope. The guns stop Page from executing the buckshot lariat, so he takes them out with the Orihara moonsault, returns, and White shoves Takeshita away. And as Hangman tries for the buckshot, it's uh, White who ducks it and hits a half and half onto Page. Juice then stops the golden trigger, uh, which triggers Jim Ross to ask, why is everything golden? And they got a history lesson on uh, the, uh, the Golden Elite. The like, convoy, why is it the Snow Cold Stunner? Why is it so cold? Why can't he warm up a little? Yeah. The Kamigoya then gets countered with a big flying knee from Takeshita. Abushi shoots in, and Excalibur talks about the lineage of Jumbo Saruta and Junakiyama. Um, some good, great stuff here in context from Excalibur. And the buckshot is delivered. Omega with a pair of B triggers. Uh, to Juice and White, but it's Takeshita who runs from behind, schoolboys Omega, and hooks the trunks in 20 minutes and 28 seconds. So Takeshita pins Kenny Omega, which I would think is as solid of a match we have coming out of this show that should happen next weekend. And they cut to Hangman, and you see him just mouth, what the fuck? And it was a nice cutaway <laughs> that they caught from Hangman. Um, the expected outcome for me, I, I thought that this got pretty entertaining, but it was also a very busy match. And they yeah. got a lot of time. They went over 20 here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think as you would expect, you know, with, with this sort of style of match, you know, for one thing, I I thought Bullet Club Gold's entrance was really awesome. You know, it was really nice to see Jay White in a stadium setting again, but in a different stadium to the Tokyo Dome. And he looks every bit just, I mean, that was a lot of what I was looking for. How do certain acts look inside a stadium setting? And Jay White is really a stadium level performer. Um, I thought Juice was great in this match as well. Um, it was a very good six man. I thought they had some, you know, nice attempted callbacks to, you know, Omega and Page and uh, Omega Bushi uh, tag team sort of maneuvers. Um, good match. I would be lying though if I said, um, I, knowing that Danielson versus Omega was supposed to be on the show, I couldn't help but think just of like whether or not a six man like this may, might have lived up to like, you know, the usual Kenny Omega single standard. And I don't, 
think the answer is yes. Um, this was a very good six man, but it was maybe just a notch above like what you would typically see on a dynamite. And to me, like Kenny Omega is just such a once in a lifetime performer and you only get these sort of crowds. Um, well, I was going to say once in a lifetime, but clearly they're going back next year. So maybe that, that, you know, it's not, not, not that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, this was a good six man tag in the mid middle of the show. Yeah. And I think you're going to get the big singles match next weekend. I mean, that's, you know, not everybody is going to get the big match on, on this show. Um, uh, with, I guess you would just expect Kenny Omega to be one of those. Uh, so this but was, anyway, a- that's, a, that's an old argument that, that we could shelve after this. So this is from um, Neil Flanagan. So Tony Khan, at the beginning of the press conference, uh, before he even takes questions, uh, commented on the investigation. Well, let let me get into this. So right at the top, he says, quote, I can't comment on it uh, at this time beyond what I'm about to say. Yes, there was an incident backstage before we went live on tonight's show. We are investigating it until I learn more about what happened. I can't really address it at this time, so I can't comment. But I did want to be honest with you and tell you that is the case. So not really adding anything beyond confirming that there was an incident. Okay. So that, that was the way it was addressed. FTR and the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championship. Um, so among the most over people on this show, where did Freddie Mercury rank? Um, maybe, um, right underneath, um, cause so, he had yeah. to be top five. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you associate one believe that probably the most iconic performance to ever take place in the arena. At least I would even, especially like to, to a world stage. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. The bucks come out, um, in the Freddie Mercury attire from like the magic tour in 1986. And this gear was so awesome. I thought this was so cool um, that they came out in and then FTR um, they've got like the union Jack colors on and they're wearing armbands for Brody Lee, Bray Wyatt and for Jay Briscoe as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this was, I think kind of what we expected in that the Bucks were certainly trying to be like heelish at times, but like this audience was just here to watch like who's the best tag team. That was the story of the match. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, they, they're both technically baby faces. I wouldn't say like there was that much. Um, There was no grudge really that was attempted to be built other than from that final promo from Matt Jackson this past week. Um, But you know, this the story was is really the 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 fact that these are two of the best tag teams of all time, and they're trying to complete their trilogy right now. Yeah, the Bucks got the advantage on on Cash, and then Matt is doing the roll the Northern Lights uh, onto Dax, who then would try and reverse and hit Germans, and they go back and forth. We get these standing switches, and then Dax tries to win with an inside cradle. The FTR apply sharpshooters to both men, including Nick on the edge of the apron by Cash. And Nick breaks out of the sharpshooter and sends Cash crashing into the steps on the, on the floor. Then there was an attempt with uh, the – they tried pretty much like the, the double like power and glory spot where there was the superplex. And then both teams sent a man for the splash with both Cash and Matt landing on knees. Nick is then attacked with a spike pile driver and the crowd is cheering all of this. Nick then tries for a sunset flip moments later and Dax sits down hooking the legs, the the Brett Bulldog spot. And it only led to a two count, which I thought that was like the near fall for some match to use as this really big moment. And it was here, but I wouldn't say it was like a big focus of the match or anything. It was just, Mm -hmm. it was a two count. Agreed. 
Then we get the the super kicks to Dax, and they hit their own spike pile driver onto him. The BTE trigger misses as the Bucks crash knees, and Cash spears Nick through the ropes, and Cash is tagged in, and they try for the FTR trigger, including kissing Matt on the cheek. And then the shatter machine is hit for a huge near fall. Crowd is going wild at this point. Dax comes back. He super kicks Matt, and Cash this being uh, the callback to their previous matches and cash goes for a springboard 450 missing Matt. And then Matt's super kicking cash. They think it's over. The BTE trigger is hit, but Dax makes the save, which I thought Nick got the assist here and trying to like get the arm up. Cause I think yeah. he was concerned like Dax isn't going to make it and we cannot blow this near fall here. Mm-hmm. So uh, a bit of a, an assist there. Dax then takes the, his own shatter machine and there's a second BTE trigger onto cash for another massive near fall that everyone bid on. They try for the Meltzer driver. It's cut off and then they hit Matt with a final shatter machine. And Matt is the one that takes the fall 21 minutes and 45 seconds as FTR win. And then they offer their hands, which the young bucks turn down. Hmm. Really good match, I yeah, thought. This was you know? this was tremendous. I thought mm-hmm. um, earlier than I expected it on the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I felt like um, you know they they were pacing it pretty well, and then I thought they really ramped things up once they got into the finishers and the uh, and and the false finishes in the last six minutes or so. Um, the crowd I thought was really really like almost like at their kind of potential like you know uh, peak towards some of those moments, and um, I thought this was a very satisfying close to the trilogy. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, the way they did the handshake, like it, they do keep it open ended. And I think this is a program that, like, you don't have to rush back to it. It's always going to be there. These are going to be the two franchise tag teams. And when mm-hmm. the time is right, you can go to this. And I think that's a lot of Tony Khan's booking style that sometimes people look at it as, oh, they, they dropped something. And a lot of the times it's, it's parked and it's always something that they can draw from later. And I think that's yeah. going to be the case with these teams where, Maybe it's a year from now you you go back to this match or when it's convenient. I don't think this is one where you're going to see an immediate playoff of this. Or maybe even a potential six-man trios tag with their respective trios at some point. Oh, who do you see them finding as partners? Yeah, you know, um, Jeff Turton, Grado. Um, maybe maybe next year um, Joey Mercury performs at Wembley. <laughs> with the Just bring him back. Just for him. Just because of his name. Does he sing? He booked (laughs) off your name. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Stadium Stampede followed that with Moxley, Claudio, Yuta, Mike Santana, and Just Ortiz taking on Orange Cassidy, Eddie Kingston, the best friends, and Penta. And this was kind of the most interested I was in terms of how are they going to present this as a stadium stampede match. And as most assumed, like this was much more of an anarchy in the arena. No produced Mm -hmm. bits. They went out into the stadium, but never to the detriment of like losing the audience. And you had the screens above the ring. So fans could um, make out what was happening. But really, other than going into the parking lot, there was really nothing backstage and nothing that you would equate with the 
no stadium stampedes of the past i'm more of the um mindset that like stadium stampede is was really just sort of like a temporary like solution because of the pandemic and because of empty arena crowds and especially with somebody like a john moxley who seems to just very much probably shy away from the idea of doing anything you know like pre-produced um i expected this to be basically a, a, a a bigger version of anarchy in the arena well this was uh, Shivani uh, tags in for Jim Ross on commentary for this one. And so Eddie Kingston storms the ring. He's in his Patrick Ewing jersey and goes right after Claudio. And they head to the back and they would end up in like the, the upper bowl of the stadium. And I thought that they would just do something insane. They went all the way up there and then all the way down. So they, they got their steps in on, on the state. Mm. I, hope, I hope they had like their, their Fitbit planted Fitbit. somewhere. Hmm. You would hate to all this walking around such a big stadium and not get credit for it everyone is just brawling there is blood there are weapons and it is anarchy in the stadium and it's never too early for moxley to bleed it's also never too early to pull out skewers which moxley does and he goes to deliver them to penta but penta ends up shoving these skewers into moxley and then hits a made in japan and moxley is just okay. busted totally open so usually when I see the, the skier spot, I mean, um, you do the thing where you like, you know, pound the whole like stack of skewers onto somebody's head and then you let go and then they just kind of splay out like this. But I guess um, the elastic was kept onto these skewers. So what you had instead was just like basically a log stuck into John Moxley's head as it flipped over and basically took like lifted that skin right up there, you know, almost like a tree sort of like toppling down. It was disgusting. Yeah. Renee Paquette's Twitter was entertaining during this match only for me trying to guess what was the spot that led to her posting her uh, her, her post when she did, uh, because there were multiple candidates, I'm sure. Um, so way I might need some help because it was very hard to keep track of this uh, looking up and down as I was taking notes. But we have we just cut to the floor. Trent is eating these shots and he's bleeding like a ton, like just yeah. casually just you know, donating blood to the Red Cross. Moxley then gets a fork and drives it into Orange Cassidy's head and then hits a paradigm shift onto a chair. So get before a... all this, I mean, um, did uh, did you talk about the Penta spot? We're not there yet. Um, the, oh, I'm sorry. The transformation? Okay. Yes, we will get there. No, um, no, no, no. Like what took him out in general? Oh, what, what, what was it that actually took him out? The so like, no, so it was like a pile driver from uh, uh, Santana to Penta. He delivers it onto a chair and then all of a sudden you just hear – and this is in picture in picture. So you mm -hmm. see like you know a yeah. very small like you know wide shot and you hear need help, need help. It was very concerning. And Santana is just like arguing. He's pissed off. It was incredibly scary. So it was all very well done. He, he did a great job because yeah. his music went off moments later. And not only did Penta L0M get into the country, but so did Penta Oscuro. Got all his paperwork done in time. And he comes out with Alex Abrahantis. So he did a quick wardrobe change. And uh, presuming these are the same individual. Uh, you know what? Have I've, you ever seen uh, them together? I, um, I I don't know. I have not. I, okay. I, but uh, maybe. I, I thought it was a, I mean, some would argue maybe a little, like, so well done that it might even be distasteful. But, like, I, I mean, they got me. You know, I thought he was, like, it could have been a legitimate injury and uh, came out here. I mean, I would classify this as maybe the closest you would get to, like, a cinematic element to the to the show. You know, of this this sort of backstage transformation. Yeah, they didn't go into the, uh, 
what was it the uh the lake of reincarnation is that what it was called they might have had a you know a kiddie pool of reincarnation in the back uh sue returned with a new van and she had baked cookies for everyone to use as weapons with the with the cookie sheets and moxley came up and kissed her oh she might need to get tested uh, Santana and Ortiz, uh, they get nailed with these cookie sheets, and then there's an X-Plex onto the uh, barbed wire board. This is as they're going three-on-one on Trent back in the uh, in the ring. Uh, they do a group hug with Yuta before they beat the hell out of Yuta, and then uh, Claudio hits the longest giant swing onto Orange Cassidy. He just kept going and going. Uh, we cut to the floor. There's Lego all over the floor, and Taylor gets dropped into them. Uh, then... Uh, Orange Cassidy goes the Taipei deathmatch route as he wraps up his hand with like uh, this like sticky with duct tape and then sticks glass to it and has that as a weapon in his back pocket. Um, But before he can hit it, he 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 hits a satellite DDT to Moxley on top of the glass. And then Claudio sends him up into the rafters and he comes down into a European uppercut. I mean, he just got incredible height here. Kingston returns with a barbed wire chair, just storming down the ring. Not quite uh, gasoline level, yeah. Eddie Kingston, but certainly trying to approximate that image here. Mm-hmm. And he just goes after Claudio and Moxley grabs the chair. The two of them are face to face and Kingston starts delivering uh, hurricanes to both Claudio and Moxley and then spears Moxley through a table and orange Cassidy hits the orange punch with the glass to Castagnoli for the pin. This is after earlier hitting multiple orange punches, and this ties into the whole story that his hand has been damaged, and they hit that over the head on Rampage on Friday, that the mm-hmm. punch is not working anymore because of his hand, and thus he had this as the substitute glass. So if you ever have a hand injury, always remember this is an alternative measure. And he mm-hmm. pins Claudio in 21 minutes and 21 seconds. And while we didn't get Eddie Kingston with like a uh, thing of gasoline we did get the visual of eddie kingston bloodied with moxley in the corner in the with the broken table and he's just putting his middle finger up into moxley's face behind him and that was a pretty great visual for the eddie kingston collection um i i thought this was awesome i thought this like with utter chaos they had so much craziness um super busy this was a note taker's dreaded nightmare but i thought this worked really really effectively Mm. i had a very similar feeling to this um coming off of like anarchy in the arena and and it's that um i thought this match was very satisfyingly unsatisfying it you know so often in wrestling i think we just look for like you know uh finesse and like how well did something go according to the plan of these artists minds and I'm willing to bet that half of the stuff that these guys devised probably wasn't even captured on camera. You know, like Trent and Yuta ended up fighting in the parking lot for probably like 10 minutes and we didn't even see any of it. We only saw that little like barricade spot. If um, they had really been <laughs> been pinching pennies on this, they really could have like <laughs> filmed their stuff and just sent the tape and just cut it into the broadcast. Oh, you mean like with Phoenix? Like <laughs> they could have they could have like, they, they actually could have utilized Phoenix in a way in this match, and he yeah. was just in the parking lot the whole time. Like that's sure. where it starts with him yeah. and uh, uh, whoever. Um, but I think this is the one match where you can get away with like having everything be pretty bowling shoe ugly. You know, um, I it was although they very... took Jim Ross off the broadcast for this. One. <laughs> 
a ton of violence and a ton of unpredictability is I think what these matches are known for. Um, and it gave you that feeling throughout the entire thing where you didn't really know what was going to happen, who might've, you know, legitimately gotten hurt. Um, but I also felt like they managed to really successfully carry through a lot of the storyline connections between the participants throughout, you know, between the best friends and Yuta, um, Eddie, Claudio and Mox, of course, and, uh, you know, um, I thought it was a very satisfying anarchy in the arena type of match. Mm-hmm. And so Orange Cassidy is defending the international title on Wednesday, but they haven't stated against whom. And I thought maybe they would. I mean, you could certainly go with him and Moxley on Wednesday or Sunday, um, mm-hmm. but but it wasn't made perfectly obvious beyond Moxley has been the guy they appear to have been grooming for weeks at this point. And Eddie and Claudio seems like a very easy match you could also i mean they were going to do it in july on the ring of honor show that would be an easy choice for sunday as well agreed with both those yeah as we continue to play guess the card that's coming up on sunday hikaru shida dr Britt baker soraya and tony storm for the aew women's championship the first entrance we hear queen playing throughout the entire wembley stadium and out comes amy sakura <laughs> no I'm, I'm sure she was watching all this and just like fuck this <laughs> i mean i don't know if it was ever going to happen you know like amy sakura getting amy sakura week. coming out to queen on this show no, i, 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 I mean cards. her getting a role on this show period oh, okay but, you know um, she was certainly campaigning for it online i believe they did a choke pro uh, in the uk that might have been you know her big um sort of all-in moment uh but she was the one run i mean she had kind of dropped the freddy gimmick right for a long long time so i guess soraya fair to pick it up soraya comes out and she is accompanied by her entire family and she's got the union jack attire on and i do think it is worth mentioning because i did see like there were certain people like uk based that you know during speaking out there were allegations against uh the knight family and of course they had operated at school some of the students there and Believe me, I really do understand the frustration, especially of people that are there in the UK, which was kind of ground zero for the movement. And here we are all these years later, and it seems to be a subject that people very delicately either dance around or outright just choose to ignore. I understand people not really wanting to revisit uh, what was a horrendous um, period that shouldn't be confined to just a period that came and went. Um, that's not how it should be treated. And I do get that frustration that sometimes people just want to forget about all this stuff. And I, I think it is worth bringing up at times and you don't have to be accused of being like a, a downer to call these things out that some feel have not been properly addressed. And that the most important thing is that that period that it is learned from and, uh, and, and that goes uh, across all companies and all that that period should not be something that is just forgotten about or ignored. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but on that note, uh, we then had Tony storm come out and they have redone her whole entrance here. So she is like fully like film noir star, Tony storm, who's slowly losing her mind or maybe rapidly losing it. Uh, I love this character. Um, mm-hmm. I was rooting for her to lose because that's the last thing she needs is success. Um, yeah. To just continue this. Um, Calm. Yeah. I thought all these entrances, like, dude, yeah. um, 
like Britt Baker came out. She felt like a superstar. The mm-hmm. match began. The crowd's chanting Sheeta. Uh, well, like everyone felt like a star in this match. They all had pretty unique entrances. If they didn't have a unique, you know, um, uh, entrance song, I mean, they had major stadium level pyro, you know, for Hikaru Shida, you yeah. know, um, that like made them all feel larger than life. So I would say like the presentation of this, even before the bell rung, greatly heightened my interest in it, especially coming off a of stadium stampede. Yeah, maybe at the end of the show, we'll also talk about just like the production of the mm-hmm. show as well, because I, I thought it was like really high mm-hmm. level. So um, we, we start things off. The uh, uh, Soraya's family are in the front row and they get involved uh, with, with a spot later. Soraya and Storm agree to work together and then they're going for the double pin and they argue over who is going to pin Baker. Uh, so she then grabs both by the hair and rams their heads and the crowd is all getting behind Sheeta. And then Soraya's mother is holding Britt Baker and Storm misses and drills, uh, drills uh, sweet Soraya. And Soraya in the ring is pissed. Soraya Sr., Soraya Jr. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's tough with this uh, Mm. differentiation. Uh, So they come to blows in the ring and they're going at it with forearms and chops. So you're you're seeing the outcasts uh, fall apart here. So Tony Storm takes off the bottom turnbuckle and is setting up Soraya for the hip attack when Ruby Soho runs down to remind her. She came all the way to England to remind her about her neck. If you're going to turn on her, at least like... Go for the knee or something like that. Don't break her neck. And uh, Soraya is able to get up and super kicks Tony Storm as Ruby leaves. And Baker then super kicks Storm. Um, we see Soraya applying. I don't know if this has a new name. It was always the the page tap out, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's been uh, rebranded. Uh, so maybe it's the, the, the STO. STO. Okay. And this oh, was that, a great That spot, one's already though. taken, actually. Yeah, I know. Uh, so mm-hmm. maybe yeah, she'll get clever with it. But anyway, she's got um tony storm in the in the pto and then baker hits her with a curb stomp and it looked really great this awesome uh, spot setup for the curb stomp great yeah Sheeta then lifts up soraya and dude she just dropped her off of her shoulders and uh soraya just like dumped to the floor to the the mat here uh there's a meteora baker stops a cover and she's trying for the lockjaw now they played some attention to this. Dude, she does defense for this. She's putting her chin up and grinding her teeth so that she couldn't get the grip. This was amazing. I thought this was so cool. The defense for the lockjaw. And she able she's able to cradle Baker to try and break free. Soraya then spray paints Tony Storm in the eyes and hits the nightcap onto Tony as Baker has the lockjaw applied. And thus she's her arms are tied and Soraya is able to get the pinfall in eight minutes and 43 seconds. Um, they did not have as much time, but I did not think that was a detriment to this mm-hmm. match. I thought it was a, enough time to get the story across. And Soraya is in tears and brings her family into the ring for the big celebration and the announcers do know that Mercedes is in attendance, but there wasn't that cutaway or any mm. like overt tease. Of- maybe no pause in action, you know, to, to allow it. I could understand that as well. Or maybe it just kind of slipped their mind. Um, she broke us. The curse of uh, losing matches in front of I your family. When I saw that family at ringside. It's like, she's not only not winning this title, she's <laughs> taking the pin. Yes. Yes. Uh, I thought it, this was a really good match. You know, um, I, I can't disagree with the choice of, of Soraya. It was a, a wonderful moment tonight. Um, if think... you were ever going to do this, this was the time to do it. And yep. it maybe is not going to be a long title reign. And you can certainly question like Soraya in this kind of a role. But, mm-hmm. but she mean, if you're tonight. going to do it, this is the time to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there, you know, I had criticisms, as I'm sure a lot of people did, about whether or not Soraya, at this stage of her career with her injuries, could live up to, you know, a standard of a Jamie Hayter as a champion or a Karushita as champion. But I think there's more than enough you could do with her to justify a run. Um, she looked good tonight, and I think the personality has has been really strong. The, the outcasts have made a major bounce back from, I think, you know, a pretty rough for several months of their existence where I think their identity was really still trying to be found. I mean, it looks like the group might actually be just disbanded by this point, but That's what I was going to say is like, it, it, it's like the but, group is, but they're all coming out of it elevated. And that goes certainly for Tony storm. It goes for Soraya. It certainly goes for Ruby riot, who I think that they've all through this, you know, trials and tribulations of like working together have really found their individual identities. I thought they did a great job of building dissent between Soraya and storm throughout the match. Great creativity with the use of her mother to further it as well. Great use of Soho as well. Um, I thought the, you know, attack afterwards was like really well earned. So good, good choice. Like you said, John, if you're ever going to go with Soraya, to win the championship it would have been tonight i'm gonna fully admit this is way too ridiculous and Mm -hmm. it probably would not be everyone's cup of tea (laughs) but when this match ended one of my ideas was what if on dynamite tony storm announces a big segment and she comes out with her own title and she's so delusional she thinks she won the title in this match (laughs) no and then we could have a real world champion it's like she is going into this descent into madness that she yeah. she is not attached to reality and then soraya yeah. it's not like a break they're still in the group but like none of this has computed with tony storm are you suggesting the CM more punk titles is, that's what i'm suggesting more are you, titles are you suggesting cm punk is currently working this gimmick on the men's side of things oh that he's lost touch with reality yes um that that could be your backdrop um hmm. maybe that's, okay. that's where you go interesting Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage against 64-year-old Sting and not 64-year-old Darby Allen in the coffin match. And we wondered how this one would go. It was one person into a coffin and you win. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of hard to do a double coffin match in a Yeah, I mean it probably would take too long. Okay. So Swerve uh, comes out and there's a live performance of of his theme on his way to the ring and from ben, Flash Garmin to DJ Who Kid. Yeah. Oh, G-Unit. Right. Yeah. Well, he comes out and then yells, whose house? Um, right after Soraya yelled that it was her house. So we have a battle for the house. Battle of the houses. Well, yeah. Cage comes Big out. Neighborhood. Hey, um, Swerve was wearing Jimmy Rave's robe, which I thought was awesome. What yeah. Nigel Jimmy. pointed this out. Yeah, that was yeah. that was very cool. Mm-hmm. So great. Yeah. And uh, Luchasaurus is out with Christian and then Sting and Darby. uh they're in this video together and stings like in the old, like British top hat and has the uh, like red, white, and blue face paint. And then we go into Metallica. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Then sting to mark the occasion. Uh, they got thumbtack jackets together, which Cole and NGF did not think of matching um, thumbtack jackets. Yeah. They might be really, uh, you know, uh, trendy right now um, in Camden. So you're telling me, that Phoenix and AR Fox couldn't get into this country, but they could get their thumbtack jackets into this into this country. You think? Or I mean, I imagine got in early could, and made these. <laughs> I imagine you can bring a jacket and you can bring thumbtack separately. Whether or not you can bring a thumbtack jacket, I, I'm not so sure. I don't know. Cage uh, saves Swerve by uh, kicking the coffin lid shut when uh, Sting lifts him. Uh, a concerto misses on Darby, and then uh, we see. 
Sting take off. It was actually a handicap match because it was Darby and Sting against Swerve, Christian, and this table. And uh, Sting, <laughs> it has. I think Sting should do his retirement match next year at Wembley against this table. Okay, mm. a British table, as they they're very reinforced. These British tables, as we learned, mm. and he tries to put Swerve through this table when he leaps off the apron and it doesn't break. And my God, did this look like? Oh my God, this guy broke his ribs in Wembley, but. Dude just gets up like any other individual his age says, okay, I'm going to leg drop my way through this. And he puts uh, Swerve through the table and Excalibur says that Sting is letting the world know that he is the table. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, lovely, lovely save of this, you know, um, I guess a malfunctioning British table, I suppose. And he actually turned it into an even bigger highlight of the match. Then uh, Luchasaurus uh, goes to get the skateboard and Nick Wayne runs down to stop him. And Luchasaurus chokeslams Nick Wayne and carries Nick Wayne to the back. And they're like, what evil things is Luchasaurus going to do? So maybe we will find out on, on Wednesday. What happened to poor Nick Wayne? Darby goes for a coffin drop from the turnbuckle, misses on the floor, landing on the coffin, which was called the coffin flop. Um, oh, man. Dude, I just... I don't know what to imagine. This guy. Can, can I just tell you this story? Okay. This is like, listen, mm -hmm. I am, look at me. Okay. I am hardly um, an athlete. Okay. But when I got into, when I got rear ended, okay. Back in June, dude, two months later, like my back is really messed up. I'm in a lot of pain. I cannot fathom this dude walking around just gingerly at the age of 40. There is no part mm -hmm. of me um, that would want to pay this toll that I is in, undoubtedly coming this guy's way and i just watched this and maybe he's just made of something that um is not known to most individuals at this rate like i think darby might retire before sting <laughs> i would hope so um th this was this was just insane and this was just like the he's midpoint crazy. of the match like it wasn't yeah. even the big climactic uh taking out of a uh, darby from the match it was just well it's a real coffin. It really hurts. So Darby's out on the floor and Sting fights both. He hits a scorpion death lock onto Christian. Uh, it's broken up by a chair shot that Sting no sells and drills Swerve in the head with the chair. And then Christian hits him in the balls with a bat and they set up a Swerve stomp. Sting is placed in the coffin, but he doesn't allow the coffin door to close using the bat to keep it open. And they hit the Swerve kick and Sting is then placed on top of the coffin as Christian is choking Darby and Swerve misses a 450 splash landing on the coffin. Darby rakes the eyes of Christian. There's a belt shot to Christian and then a scorpion death drop to Swerve on the coffin. They shut it close, but Swerve's got his hand over the ledge of the coffin. So they're kicking down on his fingers and his arm. And finally, Darby climbs up and says, this'll do the trick. And he hits a coffin drop onto the lid. No, no human being to cushion the fall. Just, you know, like, uh, you know, you can't pack your luggage. So you climb up to the, the balcony and you just do this onto your luggage to close it at the end. And this shuts the door at 1549 as Sting and Darby win. If that's what you can call what Darby Allen did in this match. If this was a, a win. Uh, <laughs> nuts. Oh, I thought this match was awesome. You know, um. If Stadium Stampede was complete chaos, I felt like this was, you know, your sort of like um, 
plunder match where everything was interesting. I thought you were going to call this a palate cleanser, which I would not use that as a description for this. Um, I thought this was a spectacle like plunder match where everything was intricately planned, but perfectly executed. I thought everything that they were attempting here was pretty ambitious. And I would say for the most part, everything went off pretty perfectly, save for the table spot, which actually ended up being even a better spot, you know, afterwards with the way Sting was able to save it. Um, The amount of risk from Darby is always, 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 always concerning. But if you're going to do some stupid shit, I I can ex- like look look away if it's eighty thousand people, you know, on probably the the the, the yeah. But I was watching this guy do this and evolve in front of like two hundred people as well. So I mean, so, I, I don't think this is a guy who's saying, you know what, tonight's the night I dial it up. You're right. Yes, I guess I I, I just maybe um I I wouldn't fault him as as much, you know, if I was maybe his his mother. Um, I thought Christian was fantastic. I I think he was ended up being a really good substitute for Fox on short notice. Did a tremendous job of playing heel to oppose Darby and of course build up to the Luchasaurus match. Um, but you know the guy who I think gra- continues to grab my attention the most is Swerve. His incredible athleticism, his ability to I think take care of Sting throughout this match, and his ability to just kind of draw your attention to him as a lead villain. He is another person who I thought looked very stadium worthy tonight. So um, a really good coffin match. Yeah, it's one of those questions coming out of this of how you transform the mogul embassy coming out of this mm. uh, minus AR Fox. I mean, you can certainly do that feud. And we should mention on collision. It's not as though like AR Fox is positioned in a way where he's part of this story. Mm. Um, I just thought he fits so well into that group as a Same. heel. And I'm, I'm not as high on him in the, in the baby face role, but they, they are, they are explaining there's still the tension with Nick Wayne. So it's not as though Nick Wayne is just uh, yeah. forgiven and forgotten. It just feel, it feels like they really fast forwarded, you know, through several months of story just to kind of get us to what was supposed to come after the fact. Um, I just don't think I don't think there's any chance that he like this would be a uh, no pun intended a swerve and that he'd go back at, at this point because I think that'd just be too groan inducing. Fozzie performs Judas and uh, Jericho was in his glory here, singing on the way to the ring, accompanied by Sammy Guevara. And then uh, Will Ospreay came out, and this was an awesome entrance by Ospreay. Huge pyro going off. Uh, Will's in the Union Jack colors, and this this had such a big match feel attached to it. And they, man, they hit it out of the park this week with the contract signing mm-hmm. and the Red Pro angle, which they did show here, where after Ospreay beat Shingo Takagi, Jericho showed up in a Bushi mask and attacked Ospreay. And it was like the whole crowd, it took them about, 10 seconds to realize who it was and man did Jericho just wait and wait and then did the reveal giant pop. But for, for all the talk of them going in and it's, Oh, it'll be, we're not going to have a baby face or a heel. Like it was very clear. They wanted uh, a baby face heel dynamic here with Jericho as the heel. Yeah. No matter which, what, which made it tough when you have Don Callis in the role in, in Osprey's corner. And he was very subdued in this role too. Like he did not get involved. He wasn't on commentary to kind of cloud the issue. Um, he was sort of just there by proxy. He was there to, I think, carry like the the story throughout like the weeks beyond all in. But for tonight, there was no other decision than to book, you know, the, the match the way they did. So uh, immediately, Osprey's hitting a sky twister press to the floor, and Jericho hits this released German to Osprey on the apron, uh, which was the Taz opportunity to talk about how bad it is for your neck. And Jericho's giving middle fingers to the audience, but man, Osprey's done like a ton of crazy stuff. But this German, I just watched it. I was like, oh my God. 
Uh, Jericho then hits a top rope Frankensteiner. He's slapping Will around and then lands on the knees with the lion salt and Osprey recovers and hits a shooting star press to Jericho, who's draped on the top. Crowd is into all of this stuff. Uh, very cool counter as Osprey goes for the os cutter and it's hit. He meets a code breaker in midair to the back and then hits the regular version. Osprey gets up and then he hits the os cutter. Jericho kicks out and there's a storm breaker that Jericho counters with a snap hurricane Rana before applying the walls of Jericho and Guevara uses the bat behind Aubrey Edwards back to nail Osprey. Um, but he's not, or he gets out of the, the hold Jericho then grabs Aubrey and it leads to a low blow to Will. The crowd is booing all of this and Jericho builds up to a Judas effect for a huge near fall. Everyone's behind Will and he hits an elbow and a storm breaker. Jericho kicks out again. He calls for the hidden blade and Jericho can see it coming, gives him the middle finger and Will just nails him with it to the face and hits a storm breaker in 14 minutes, 55 seconds as Osprey uh, wins and they kind of, painted it as Jericho at this like low um he doesn't want Guevara's help he just leaves Guevara in the ring and it's sort of this idea like that we talked about this week like Jericho is he's lost all his friends he's devastated with this loss and he's at this crossroads Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um do you think this is the end of the callous interaction um I don't know where you go with this after. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like you don't have um, like of the the fan, the the callous guides. It's like you've lost to Osprey, Takeshi's with Omega. Um, I don't know. It just it almost feels like Jericho is either in need of like a hard reset or disappears for a while or something. Like it just yeah. feels as though like there's not other than this lingering Guevara thing, which could just be like, he's just isolated himself from everyone that you don't necessarily need a match to come out of this. I thought you would get a Sammy turn tonight. It just seemed like, you know, with the two of them positioned in the rank, they were kind of almost teasing it. But I, I also think like the callous, I don't think this solves the callous, you know, it, it feud with, with Jericho. So I'm curious to see like where they go from here. Um, You know, is there a possible Jericho Omega team up, you know, just to be able to take on callous and associates at at, the, at some point. Um, I thought this was a very good match, you know, and I, I, I thought, and Man, 15 minutes, like they certainly didn't overstay. And yeah, I, I thought this worked really well. And this was, you know, it, it was it was a match that you were very hampered by the fact that Osprey was in the G1 for 90% of the lead up to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most people are going to remember a real great go home segment. And I, I thought they did great here. Yeah, and just be being able to see like Will Ospreay on like really the best wrestler in the world right now on the biggest stage in the world, you know, uh, in a singles match capacity. I I thought it was really wonderful that you know he was able to be on the show despite not being an AEW wrestler. Um, like in theory, you built two giant like home country stars in Osprey and Soraya with the booking of how right. they p- position them, like to where you come back. Like these are you know these performances that are going to be remembered for years now soria is understandable because she's under contract what are you taking a risk by putting will osprey up to this level and then possibly him not being a, a part of whatever you're doing come january i mean it's not as though you don't have a, a working relationship with the alternative um but not yeah if you, he goes to the wwe well you're certainly risking that and you have put him now like 
you have put his profile um, at a huge mm. level. Um, yeah. And I don't care how many times a guy will say, I'm never moving to the US. It's, listen, um, you can do a lot more than just send your stepson through college with the level of money that could be thrown his way. I feel very confident that it would be one of the two come January. But, you know, um, uh, all that said, there are times when you are booking a show like this and you have somebody who happens to be the best wrestler in the world available um, in a show where of his home country. You don't care about the future and you just book for today. And I'm really glad. Look at Edge last week. It. Like, yeah, you could argue like the Toronto booking. Like, was that if you're just looking at it strategically, um, mm-hmm. they went for the big feel good moment in Toronto and they drew a huge number for it uh, attendance wise. And there's the chance like he won't come back and there's a chance he could leave. Totally. Absolutely. But you know, like ultimately it's like you remember, like you, you do it for the benefit of the quality of the show. And obviously a Will Ospreay match will greatly benefit the quality of the show. Jericho, I think continues the show at 52 that he's still very capable of hanging at this pace. So um, despite maybe negative, you know, criticism about the match announcement, they did a great job in the lead up to it in the go home segment. And I thought delivered a very satisfying, good, very good singles match on a pay-per-view. Nigel McGuinness is the one who gets to announce the paid attendance figure of 81,035. And they were, they worded it as paid attendance. So that is the, the number that AEW is putting out as the paid attendance figure. Yes. And the specification is important because. Um, because if you're comparing it um, in WWE, it was like, they do not give out the paid attendance. They don't even give the like distributed number. Yeah. So this number specifically is not about how many people are in every every single box. It's not about how many comps. This is how many people paid money to purchase a ticket. That's what they are, are stating. Which okay. no which, other which place would, be a would do this. Like this is like they could have announced a lo- like you if you take this at face value. This is the legit paid number. Mm-hmm. The number that they could have said and is bigger. Like if you're just going with legitimate, like actual bodies in, and I'm not talking about wrestlers and caterers and everything, just fans Mm -hmm. that are in the building. They could have announced a bigger number technically, but they made a point to announce what is the paid attendance. And so uh, we will see the poll star data. Uh, I mean, AEW is not a public company, so we're not going to see like their key performance indicators. So poll star data will basically. Poll star is like audited numbers. Yes. Got it. So they will will prove this number. Um, they, They should. Yes. Okay, interesting. And this would, if this number is accurate, would make it above WrestleMania 32, which held the prior record? So, I mean, I mean, you can look at the exact range. We don't know the exact paid number for WrestleMania 32. The turnstile figure, like turnstile, is mm-hmm. like 80,709, give or take. Given, and then, to us by the, given to Brandon Thurston by the Arlington police. Yes, that was the turnstile count. Now, when you go through the, the key performance indicators, like it could be as low as around 76. It could be as high, I want to say. What like, are key performance indicators? And like, Well, we get the average attendance, right? And mm-hmm. you can break it down and you can figure out like what the exact range is. But it's not like we have the dead set paid number. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a okay. range. Um, Got it. But I mean, th- there's a very high probability that this would be if this is the real number, 8135, very high probability. This is the the paid mm-hmm. record, if legit. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's doesn't seem to be anything to argue against the counter, right? Like, it's not like I, I ever see WWE coming out and saying, well, actually, at WrestleMania 32, we sold this much. I even for them, I don't really see it happening as much. Do we get a press release on Monday from 
maybe WWE just puts out, hey, just by the way, these are uh, our historical attendance <laughs> figures. Just because. We're just going to put it out there. No, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe next year they'll do all in for two nights. And then, you know, there you go. You get a record-breaking number that way. Second from the top, the House of Black, accompanied by Julia Hart, uh, taking on the acclaimed and Billy Gunn for the AEW Trios Championship. And uh, the, the pre-show was the best line was Paul White stating that, you know, the House of Black, they've, they've crossed a line where this is not the fun-loving daddy ass showing up. They have brought out badass Billy Gunn, who now, mm-hmm. like in wrestling history, like this is the dangerous version. Oh, this is the Billy demon Gunn. version of Billy Gunn. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was like, this is, you've awoken the beast, the man who used to moon the crowd <laughs> and uh, was losing kiss my ass matches to the rock. That guy is showing up. I also, <laughs> anyway, um, the beginning here, as I mentioned earlier, Buddy Matthews came out with a lantern that they put down at the at the entrance. And as the lights were out, you had all the lights on and they referred to them as the fireflies. And this mm-hmm. is where they they mentioned uh, Wyndham Rotunda's passing and the House of Black. Uh, tonight, they were the House of White because, man, their gear was top notch for this big event. It looked super cool. They were in their masks coming out. A, a, an awesome, awesome aesthetic that the House of Black have. An incredible entrance tonight. Yeah. Max's rap included uh, House of Black being a bigger disgrace than Prince Andrew, uh, shots at Meghan Markle, and then comparing them to uh, the characters in Harry Potter. Yeah, I guess because you have a redhead um, of, of a girl. and um, That's enough, yeah. Another guy. That's, that's enough, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Billy Gunn was wearing a badass shirt, not because it looked cool, but it just read badass on that's it. That's how you know. Bad to the ass. That's how you know he that's about the extent of like, you know, the difference. Yeah. And they have elected for a no holds barred match. Now, I, I don't think it was the worst call, but I will say this did feel like one too many matches where it was just the all out uh, insane Rolling. type of match. But it was also that we were getting like late in the show. And this probably did help for for, for reasons. Um, Julia Hart gets into the ring and she slaps Billy Gunn who responds with a suck it. And then Julia Hart responded. Um, I was born after the DX run. Could you explain this reference to me? <laughs> she missed yeah. the entire DX run for Billy Gunn. That's crazy. Wow. Just to remind you. And then they drop her and hit the scissor me timber spot onto her. And this is when they cut away to Mercedes Monet. This was the time to show her. And she was, a uh, got a huge reaction when they, they showed her here. It's countdown to mercedes and julia hart it's coming maybe she's joining the acclaimed she dude she really got into the the whole scissor party uh, mm-hmm. later on so maybe maybe that's where she's going uh king mrs billy gunn runs into the guardrail somewhere in all this uh brody king got busted open on his forehead hard way and then man the acclaimed like they had their special move like this was a video game and the amount of, they just went to the arrival and the mic drop and that was their key to victory and they were just going to go over and over until they 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 hit this combo and and won things so um they hit a bunch of famousers and then it's uh Max hitting one Bowen's hitting one and then Billy Gunn hits a third famouser the real famouser because this is a badass famouser and not a daddy ass famouser and Julia Hart yanks out Aubrey Edwards to stop the cover and they explain this is legal because it's no holds barred. So the next time we see a regular match where someone is pulled uh, pulls a referee out, remember they pointed out here that would have been a DQ. Noted. Okay. The black mass, which is the end, 
is hit to Billy Gunn. And Billy Gunn, it's one, two, and I swear, this hand got down. Aubrey Edwards' hand was a goddamn millimeter from the mat, and Billy Gunn got his shoulder up. I want to say this is maybe a top three Billy Gunn moment of his entire career. This kickout was incredible. Really? Wow. His timing was amazing. It was amazing. I, I, I guess uh, what's one and two? Um, g- Give me... It might be me. the best. I'll, I'll announce it after all out next year. Okay. We're all in Dante's Inferno gets stopped. And then the acclaimed send black and uh, Matthews out. And it's the arrival, the mic drop on the Brody King. And he kicks out at one, not one of the big one, one count kickouts. And then they hit the famous Saranta King. Then they hit the arrival. Then they hit the <laughs> mic drop and all three jump on top. And they win in 10 minutes and three seconds. Mercedes was shown scissoring. And then the house of black hand over the belts like uh, respectable ex-champions. And I I was fine with the title change. I know you were not as high on it. Yeah, I would whatever. have pushed back if they had scissored. And I thought they were all going to scissor. All of them. <laughs> if the House of Black I seriously scissored. thought that's what they were going to do for the comedy spot. But they didn't. <laughs> they exited. And then Bowens called for the world's biggest scissor party. And they did it. Which was the whole por- purpose of, of this. To do the big scissor at the end. And Gunn finally comes up big. And they win the trios belts. Um, but that was that. Not not one of the big matches on the show. I thought it was really late uh, at this point. Mm. But I, I think the audience loved the scissoring stuff and what comes with an acclaimed match in such a big setting. Yeah, they love scissoring. I think they love the rap. Um, I thought the match itself was a little bit odd. I felt it seemed to be progressing well. But in the middle, I really did feel the energy kind of fall off a cliff. And, you know, at this point, we're four hours, you know, including the kickoff. I mean, kickoffs. Then I mean, including the, this from the start of the first. What match was your favorite kickoff? first hour the, uh maybe you know the the, the second quarter second of eight. yeah yeah when rj city went into the arena that was my favorite um so perhaps this crowd was kind of tired by this point waiting for the main event and i also kind of felt like the work wasn't maybe as tight you know so um it did lose steam to me heading into the climax but you know they they got the crowd back with the scissoring i suppose and then the main event, it is MJF and Adam Cole for the AEW Championship. And say this for this crowd. I, I thought this crowd, they were up for this whole show. Um, like, I didn't feel like they were burnt out. They sounded lively. I didn't feel there was, like, a big dip for any of the matches. Like, I thought it was a pretty great crowd o- overall for such a lengthy, big stadium show. And let's be honest, I would imagine, like, 60% of them were probably well-served at this Wembley Stadium show. Good chance, yes. They start off the match and they're wearing their 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 team shirts together and it's a stalemate and MGF starts a sportsmanship chant. I think this guy's in a contest with himself of I can get anything over that I choose and Probably he's can. proving it correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as the crowd is chanting sportsmanship, MJF pokes him in the eyes and throughout all of this, um, we have MJF who is. You know, they're they're both trying to win, but Cole is definitely taking this more like they, he has put the friendship aside. MJF is still I'm having a match with my best friend and trying. Yeah, to balance though, I did like that. I mean, MJF was the instigator. He was the one who broke the rule first and he did it in a way that had to be playful enough that he didn't look like just a total asshole who was the one turning. He did the eye poke almost as if to say, ha ha, got you. But Cole, understandably, took it the wrong way. Yeah, so it was amazing just to hear what the crowd reacted to from, uh, like, the, the MJF, like, he could he can't dive. He, he can't do it, and the crowd is so disappointed. Then uh, 
Cole rips off MJF's shirt and the crowd is booing this, that you've ripped off the team's shirt. And then there's like the tombstones. Like some of this, it was just such simple, effective utilization of audience anticipation and timing it when to deliver it. And when he finally hit this suicide dive, like, like this guy absolutely gets the most out of the least. And it's an art to, to do it. And, and risky at times to like headlining a show like this and and mapping this out where you're going to be doing a lot of just teasing the audience with things and telling this friendship story uh, throughout the, the 20 minutes or so before they did well, the false finish. So MJF finally hits a suicide dive and he sells it. Like he's just hit a, you know, Phoenix splash from the top of the stadium. And we do the fish out of water spots with all of the covers. And then MJF power bombs him on the knee. Cole hits a heat seeker and sends MJF into the ring steps. And then it's MJF beating the count back into the ring. And a Panama sunrise is attempted, but MJF just collapses, rolls to the floor. And he yanks Cole by the leg, takes him onto the desk. And he's going to go for a tombstone, but MJF can't bring himself to do it. And Nigel's yelling, he's such a coward. And then Cole takes control of MJF, who is conflicted, and Cole, without any hesitation, tombstones MJF onto the desk, which we get the behind the scenes, that there is a steel beam underneath this desk that holds it together. That's what MJF was dropped on. Mm -hmm. So the crowd is chanting asshole at Adam Cole for tombstoning him on a British table. And then there's a Canadian destroyer onto MJF. He comes back with a super kick. Both are down. And then they hit a double clothesline and both are positioned on the other. And we get a double pin at 19 minutes. Bryce calls it a draw. And you would think this audience was in full lockstep that this is how the pay-per-view is going to end. They're going to leave us with a draw. And Adam Cole goes, we go right back to the 30 minute draw on TV. He calls for five more minutes. And I was thinking Cole, like, We're not anywhere near the time limit. You can get a lot more than five minutes if you ask for it. All you need to ask for is a restart. And MJF is one step ahead because he says, no, we'll continue until there's a winner. Restart the match. And they do. And they went for about another eight and a half minutes. And each is going for roll-ups, grabbing the trunks. And then Cole runs into Bryce Remsburg. And he is out. Um, And a chair is brought in. They're throwing it back and forth. They each do the Eddie spots with Cole going down. MJF wraps the chair around his neck. He goes down. And then Cole sets up for a Panama sunrise to MJF, who pulls Bryce in between. And it's Cole who mistakenly hits Bryce with the Panama sunrise. Has this ever happened to you? I mean, you know, we've seen errant... um what was it like uh, vertical suplexes? I mean, I, I think, you know, sometimes a, a, an errant um, Panama sunrise is to be expected. You got to watch. Can you imagine being so in the moment that you <laughs> couldn't pull up? Like you jump off the turnbuckle. There's a new target that's pulled in front of you. And you, you you're just, you have to complete the motion. I, I mean, ha- have you tried to deliver a Panama sunrise? I once you're off that, once you're off that turnbuckle, you can't turn it off. Whoever's yeah. in the way. Sorry. Yeah, an unfortunate casualty here in Bryce Rumsberg. And dude, um, Ruby Soho had two appearances here because Adam Cole's reaction when he hit this Panama sunrise to Bryce was um, <laughs> Ruby 10 plus. MJF takes him out of the ring, but he's conflicted. Or sorry, he doesn't take him out of the ring. He takes the ring out of his trunks and then puts it back in. He's not going to do it. And then Adam 
Adam <laughs> Roderick Strong here in like the biggest main event in front of maybe a paid attendance record. Here is Roderick Strong in the neck brace telling uh, Adam Cole to, uh, you know, cheat. And he kicks MJF in the balls. And Cole sees it. What are you doing, Roderick? And Cole hits a Panama Sunrise onto the right target, hits the boom, including leaping over the dead Bryce Remsburg to hit this boom. And he's covering him. And Bryce is just crawling over the slowest count in history. And MJF kicks out. They're all cheering him. And then Strong sends the belt to Cole. He's about to use the belt. But then Cole can't do it. And he removes his shirt and throws the belt away. Roderick's done with this. He's like, I came all the way to England for this moment. F it. I'm leaving. I'm going home. Cole turns around after watching Roderick leave, and he's caught with an inside cradle. Eight and a half minutes of the restart, and Cole can't believe it. His attention was diverted for a momentary second, and he didn't cheat when he had the opportunity. So MJF retains the title, and then MJF is consoling Adam Cole. He says, don't worry. The people still love you. I got lucky. That's all. Hey, we still have these. And he brings them the ROH tag titles and Cole tosses these away. Like a total, <laughs> these belts, they're only ring of honor. They're on honor club. And he just throws it away. And MJF realizes, he says, you were never my friend. You're just a fake piece of shit that only cared about the AEW title. And he throws the belt at Cole and says, fine, take it. And he turns his back, just do it. And he gives his back and Roderick is back telling him, do it, do it. And Cole holds the belt, throws it down, and the two hug. And this place goes electric as Roderick is watching this. These two friends in the middle of Wembley Stadium hugging. And he's with the kingdom. And the confetti comes down. And then we get the announcement of next year's All In in the same stadium to end the show. Curious to hear your thoughts on the main event. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I thought it was a really curious main event. Um. I think it was a main event that was um very heavy in storytelling obviously um and i understand why from a business perspective that you'd want to basically maintain the status quo of this team you know coming out of the show i don't know if there's all that much that changes about their dynamic you didn't get a turn um you got perhaps you know a lot of teases of like adam cole um basically flirting with turning heel on MJF and then ultimately choosing friendship over it. Um, and I thought all of that was really well done throughout the match. You know, I, I think they, they both did a really good job of, um, you know, telling us like conveying what was sort of like um, the strife within their minds. Um, I thought the restart was really nice, especially like with the, like the double clothesline leading to that um, double, double count, uh, double pinfall. Um, however, after the restart, I thought there were too many shenanigans. You know, anytime in one of these sort of Iron Man matches or whatever, where you do get one of those restarts, the heat is intense and the pace picks up and they rush to these wonderful, memorable conclusions and climaxes. Here to go right from the restart into like that sort of chair tossing anti Eddie counter type of thing, I thought took away a lot of the intensity of this particular match and that wonderful restart that they crafted. And I think that was always going to be a bit of a challenge for this match because going into all in, like you have to ask, you know, was this always the plan? Did they plan on peaking MJF and Cole um, for this show and then deciding to continue it afterwards? Or was it supposed to end here with something more definitive? This is something that's going to carry them now forever. There's no time limit. Like they can even build this up to next year if they wanted to. Um, but as a result tonight, I I think um, 
was a little bit um did not feel like a final chapter in the lease it felt maybe like a middle chapter um and for people that bought this show hoping to see like some sort of set like big conclusion or maybe even dramatic turn um i i don't know if it necessarily hit those notes but it was you know a well-executed type of story you know overall yeah, number one, I think if this was a true tribute to the first all-in, I think the trios match should have gone 26 minutes, and they would have had to race through this one in 11. Um, so they did uh, drop the ball in that regard. Um, this is going to come down to, I think, if you've been really invested in this MJF Adam Cole story, you probably love the twists and turns, and who's going to turn? Now, the answer at the end was neither. Um which is, I don't think you've hit the conclusion of this. Like, there's juice left in this program. It just so happens that the midpoint is your biggest stadium show uh, that everything's been building towards. Mm -hmm. But this was a very heavy story match. It was certainly not my match of the show. Mm -hmm. um, but I was, I was into it. I was. But yeah, there there was a lot of shenanigans in, in the match. And that's either your cup of tea or it's not. And it's sort of striking that balance. I thought it got a little heavy at, at different points. But I don't think you can deny that this is a story that a lot of people are into. And how do we prolong this? I, mm -hmm. I would say my only I would say my strongest negative coming out of this show is just the fact that coming out of it. I do not have a match for MJF in my mind for next Sunday. Like, I don't think a rematch makes sense. Could be a tag title defense. I don't think that's the hottest thing either for your champion. If you have a hot punk match, but you're right. Like, maybe on all of the, like the realistically, it's you're right. It's like it's MJF and Cole against like the kingdom or mm -hmm. is that your pay-per-view match? I mean, we, we don't need to pre predict, right? Like, I, I do think, yeah, like maybe there should be elements on the show that could lead you to a logical conclusion, but like, I didn't need stuff knows. announced tonight, but I do feel you needed to know some directions that like, man, I'm going to, I have to see this pay-per-view next week because there's this mm -hmm. clearly like big match that uh, I'm not going to skip. And and we may not get that announcement till Wednesday unless they they preemptively announce something big. But I I don't know what they have, so we we got to wait till see to see. Yeah. I think it's going to be tough for next Sunday to come back so quickly for people after this big show. Perhaps, yeah. But you know, I'm um I agree with you that this is not my match of the night, and I think maybe um, should a main event aspire to be the match of the night? Um, and if it doesn't, it, do you consider it a failure? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say failure. Maybe a slight disappointment is what I would I would say. I think it was a well-executed match, but I think the choice and the style of match that they had, especially after that, that run towards the end, um, to me was a, a little questionable because we know these two are incredible wrestlers. And I think I was just missing some of that incredible wrestling, especially in the run-up to the to the finale, finality of, of this match. Now that we we saw the buzz in the last couple of days and building up, like th this felt like a big show going into mm. it and when they first announced Wembley my thought was this is your best opportunity to ever come into shooting distance of that all-out 2021 number that is their their all-time high point and yeah. if not I don't know what's going to be able to eclipse that number um like this one I I don't know how it's going to finish but I'm I feel pretty optimistic on this show that it just in those like the final day like yeah. just being such a hugely important show for the company that people want to see that it felt like a major event. And, and I don't know, I don't know what this is going to come in at, but 
I mean, are you so so? Well, I'm sure. Like maybe John, like would you agree that if this was a show that took place at 8 p.m. Eastern time, that it would eclipse that record? Do you believe that? Uh, Based on the quality of the build and the grandeur of this of the atmosphere alone, I wasn't as. I'm not as uh, pessimistic about the time being such a detriment to people. Um, I think for me, it's the biggest X factor and, and the biggest thing that might mitigate, you know, whatever success this show might have had on its own, um, you know, just simply as a professional wrestling show at a, at a regular time. I do think for the West Coast, it is like that is more of a factor where you're talking like even like the zero hour is 9 a.m. Um, mm-hmm. and the pay-per-views at 10. Um, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the thinking as well, like that Tony Khan mentioned is like, this is, this is like the NFL start time on a, on a Sunday and the idea of, you know, building it up to this big event feel. Um, we're going to see, I but, mean, but it's about building habits, right? Like, you know, like as yeah, an F1 fan, you know, I'm used to waking up in the, in the morning to, to watch a race, by the way, really crazy race today. Um, but, um, wrestling fans aren't used to or at least north american wrestling fans aren't used to waking up so early to, to watch these shows that said i mean we know an aw audience will follow them anywhere and if you're dedicated enough to you know follow along with the storylines and buy a pay-per-view i think there's a really good chance you would have made the time tonight as well but how many casual audiences might be there to also take them to that record level do you say over or under let's say one hundred sixty thousand buys okay i'm gonna say over yeah over mm-hmm. i'm gonna say moderately over yeah I feel I definitely felt stronger about it after that go home show on, on Wednesday and just the buzz in the days leading up to it. But yeah, I mean, it's it, we'll see. You have it's, a prediction for all in or all out, I should say. Uh, if you're asking me today, um, I might have a different answer after the card is revealed. Um, I yeah, I we feel it's really, really tough. I feel well, we don't even know the card. We don't even know the bill. That's a problem. That's a problem. Like, I don't know how many cold cards you're going to get. And I mean, there's going to be some programs that they have been building. It's just a matter of announcing them. But mm. um, yeah, I, I don't feel great a week out for people coming back and spending the same amount. We have a lot of people that are waiting to call, especially uh, I'm sure a lot, some of you guys from the UK who actually went to the show. Before we get there, um, what were your overall thoughts on the show itself? I thought it was a great big event feel. I thought the production was was top level. It felt like a major league production. And I thought that was such an important part beyond like one match over delivering or a bad match mm-hmm. under delivering. I thought it was most important that this felt like a major league top level production uh, from AEW. So in that sense, and I think it was a show that um, despite its length, I didn't feel there was a drag on it. Everyone got their allotted amount of time. I never felt there was a match that got shortchanged, uh, including the women's match, which I think was the shortest. And um, yeah, overall, I thought it was, I, I definitely give it a, a thumbs up show. I thought that the top matches would have been Jericho Osprey. I thought uh stadium stampede was great. And I thought bucks and FTR would maybe be my, if I'm shortlisting it. I might actually go with the coffin match as maybe my favorite match, you know, tonight, maybe after that Jericho versus Osprey as well. Um, but I thought it was a very good show overall, as almost all AEW pay-per-views are. Um, maybe your level of satisfaction with that would only be determined by what your expectations might have been going into this. You know, for some people, maybe a, another AEW pay-per-view might might not be what they were expecting. You know, maybe if they were, they were expecting a WrestleMania level, whatever that means, you know, or greatest show of all time. I, this was not the greatest AEW show of all time. I wouldn't classify it as that. But it was a very good show. And more importantly, like you said, John, the atmosphere and the ability to sort of like have these incredible shots now in in their catalog to be able to show potential advertisers was a huge benefit, I would say, overall. 
Okay. Let's, uh, we do have a bunch of feedback too. So let's try and uh, make everything uh, concise and we will uh, get to as many people as we can. So if you're in the StreamYard room and if you have that link, I'm going to assume that you will want to talk and call in. So I will be going to you. Let's start, first of all, to the UK. And we go to Paul from the UK. Are you there, Paul? Hello, Paul. Hey, John Way. How's it going? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I've got really, Hello, I've got a really poor signal from um, the car again. Okay. Oh, okay. Out. Are you driving? Uh, no. Yeah, no, Lisa's driving again. Okay. We spoke to you on Money in the Bank. Okay. 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 Quick oh, thought, Paul, before we lose you. Just quick thoughts on the show. Excellent show. For me, it was Sting coming out. It was just the best thing ever. I've been to many manias, went to Raw Rumbles. Sting coming out just killed it. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Cool. Um, excellent. excellent. Thank, thank you, thank you very much. Coverage. Cheers. Oh, thank you, Paul. No problem. Thank oh, you, and uh, and uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Much appreciated. Uh, good check in there. Let's go over to um, James from Liverpool. Hello, James. Uh, let's see if we can get you in there. Oh, sorry. One second. There? Hello, James. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Hey, right. James. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. It's uh, it's good to find a speech, you guys. I've been a long time listener, but um, yeah, I, I can't really comment on the in-ring performance. I was so high up, I couldn't. I couldn't see anything that was going on, but the atmosphere was amazing. And it was just a good fun night. And it's, it's interesting to hear what you say about the main event, because the main event was, it was just awesome. Like Everyone in the arena, as far as I was concerned, thought it was just the best thing ever. So, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to watch it next week and see what it actually was like. Yeah, I mean, I mean the audience was completely engaged with it. So, I mean, it, it just seems to me, it was like, it, it just depends on, on your mileage of like what you were looking uh, out of this. Like it was... Um, like I thought the 30 minute match was a better match, but this was, this had the stage, this had the further developed story. Like they were going into that pretty cold based off of yeah, just, yeah. you know, MJF's promo about this was one of his heroes. And this one, you have months of story behind it. And, and it was a great atmosphere for the match. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Everyone thought that Adam Cole was going to win it, but I think everyone kind of turned to the match and just was, was just all behind MJF. So, yeah. But cheers, guys. Thanks for your coverage. Well, 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 quickly, what were some of the biggest reactions of the night to you? Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, well, like CM Punk got like a really bad, <laughs> yeah. especially when everyone was talking about what happened backstage afterwards. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, nothing, nothing came close to MJF. Even in, even in the, uh, the the five PM, like there was there was loads of people in the arena for that, and everyone went absolutely mad for it. So, mm. wow, no, well, fantastic! Thank you very much for checking in, James. Cheers. Thanks okay. very much. Uh, all right. One one note here from uh, the, the press conference also that came. Tony Khan says he plans to run all in and all out a week apart again next year. He says the UK bank holiday weekend and US Labor Day create a unique opportunity and he wants to create a great tradition. So he's going all guns blazing and he's going to do this back to back pay-per-views again next year. That is fascinating, especially like, you know, without um, having seen perhaps the business uh, metrics of an all out yet at this point. Um Bruce Lord. And, and and also, will it be back-to-back pay-per-views next year? Like, if you have a streaming deal in place by a year from now, like, maybe it is different than asking people to spend 50 bucks back-to-back weekends. Well, um, if it's Labor Day, why, how, how wouldn't it be back-to-back? No, I'm just saying, like, if you have a streaming deal next year, like, one oh, of gotcha. the yes, shows could, could stream as part of a, of a deal and okay. yes. might not be pay-per-views. Hey, Bruce Lord, what do you think about that? I mean, if it is happening again next year, I really hope that a bit more time is spent 
uh, kind of, you know, cooking, simmering and preparing uh, all out ahead of time. Uh, you know, we've got, it looks like we've gotten a couple of matches announced uh, during the press conference. Uh, Takeshi Omega has been made official. Uh, Cassidy taking on uh, Penta and then the winner of that facing Moxley uh, at, at the pay-per-view. But yeah, this felt like, in terms, you know, the very satisfying conclusion to a whole bunch of stories that were very, very rushed over the last few weeks. And I say that as, you know, somebody who listens to podcasts at two times speed and, you know, the actual in-ring, uh, on the whole, I think everything measured up to expectations uh, and in a couple of cases uh, exceeded it. But there were so many stories here that you just thought would have benefited i think from the wonderful visual presentation just those you know incredible shots that especially as it got darker and those kind of circling shots of the stage that the entrances the music all of those things would have just felt a little bit more impactful had we had i don't know more time with you know jungle hook as a team before they broke up or uh all of these various other stories that seem to be just reaching a very very quick culmination um but you know apart from that uh in terms you know i I think kind of things went kind of as a lot of us expected which was okay we're kind of where we often are with aw pay-per-views bit of a rushed build but when it comes down to it i think uh everything pretty much delivered Uh, i think on paper, I guess Jericho and Osprey in the tag match might have been my the best matches, but I found myself just very entertained by both the stadium mm-hmm. stampede and the coffin match. Just you know, really making I think the most of of just this very grand stage that everything was on. And I think the big event feel, just especially in an AEW setting, I think that was really captivating throughout the show to watch this yeah. promotion do its first major stadium show, and they. Put out the bells and whistles. You got some elaborate entrances. You made use of the fact that you have 80,000 people and we're not going to just simply book this like we would an arena show. And I think that had um, a lot a lot of the charm to the show that put it over the top too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One other little point to what you guys were talking about uh, just before you went to feedback there. Uh, yeah, you know, to, to quote Elton John, rather than Freddie Mercury, like Rocket Man, it was zero hour, 9 a.m. out here on the West Coast. Uh, and that was a bit difficult to get up for. I'm not going to lie. I was going to a friend's house a couple of towns over and just getting up at the crack of dawn, making, you know, eating some hash browns, drinking some coffee and watching wrestling that early. Uh, it felt like a bit of a push. But, you know, even the more kind of like casual friends that I sometimes watch pay-per-views with, they were down for it. it didn't seem like too much of an inconvenience for them. So I don't know if I really see it affecting the affecting the pay-per-view buy number that much. Kind of, yeah, 160, 165 probably sounds about right to me. But what do I know? Did you guys make plans for August 25th, 2024 to get together? <laughs> well, maybe think about I mean, I don't know. You know, at least two, two of the friends that I watch it with are from the UK. And they get a little, they were a little homesick at times kind of watching some of the references and whatnot. So who knows? We might, we might actually book it off and, and fly over there for it next year. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Bruce. Uh, always appreciate your feedback, especially from uh, the West Coast perspective. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank you, Bruce, as always. Uh, we got a super chat here coming to us from Paul Dominic DeMarco, who sends a $7 super chat. Thank you so much, Paul Dominic. He says, Wembley next year. So in six months, Tony backs the Brinks truck up to Osprey and has him main event for the title. How, so, yeah, how does this, you know, announced sort of renewal, uh, maybe even an annual tradition of all in being in London um, affect Will Ospreay's chances of going to AEW? I mean, he was treated as the, like the the superstar like this was that like that was he was booked as the superstar for this market. And I think you would want him in as big a match as you could a year from now. And, you know, somebody as well that could be utilized in such a way that. I mean, if he wants to stay based in the UK, 
does not need to be on television every single week. And it actually creates a, a higher demand for a Will Ospreay that probably in the long run, you'd get a lot more longevity out of rather than being a, a weekly character that's doing tons of big matches all the time and they're uh, spread out. But yeah, to uh, give a, a long answer to a short question, I would want him in as big a match as possible for next year if all things are in alignment. Let's go up next to Carl and Chris, who look like they have had um, oh, quite, they're the exhausted. Long, quite the they... long day. So, uh, Oh my God, he, he's out. Do, what, do on... Carl, Chris... Uh... Chris, Chris is out. Can you see? Oh, oh he's awake. You just woke him up. Yeah, you're you're alive. I don't know where. So, Chris, Chris was the one that got me into John and Wait many years ago, and he's awake. Look at there he is. He's awake. Hey. He's awake. Sorry to keep you guys waiting, so, but thank you so much for uh, calling in. So we, we 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 had a great time at all in tonight. I think Osprey. Uh, Osprey Jericho was was the best match, but the, the strangest thing was not having uh, not having any commentary. We thought it was it was our first live wrestling event, and I just wondered how you thought about when you go to a live event and not having the commentary and almost not having the full experience or feeling like you've had the full experience when you're there. I mean, it, it is very different, but I mean, I, I consider professional wrestling at its purest form, the way it's meant to be seen, you know? I mean, it's it's a sport designed for a live experience, and you, if you've been following the story, if, you know, you, you kind of understand, you can really make your own commentary. You're really there just to listen to the crowd, so I'm not usually affected too much by it, unless it's a maybe story-heavy type of, you know, bloodline-like like match, which um I could understand. But how about you? What What was the experience for you like? Yeah, I think I think we we really enjoyed it, but I do think there was that bit of almost it was it was a lot of wrestling. And you didn't really feel like there was as much of, you know, maybe watching a dynamite or a collision that you would that you would expect. But uh, no, we, we we loved it. It was amazing, and uh, and and the you know and the the, noti- the you know the notification of next year, I think sounds amazing for uh, for us. We'll be there every year. Being over there, do you feel like there's a really strong chance that AEW can can replicate this level of success a year from now for for a second show at, at Wembley? Yeah, definitely. I think the the, the 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 buzz that you got when you were there, it was like uh, I, th- mm-hmm. I think that we all feel like we were. Uh, my 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 wife can't quite understand why. I would even watch wrestling. And she said to me, she said, who, who would go to watch these events? And I said, nerds. And that was, there was 81,000 nerds there and there'll be 81,000 nerds there next year. I am absolutely sure. Well, there you go. The gospel according to <laughs> Carl. Well, the guys, uh, thanks so much for, for calling in and uh, get, get some rest. And we appreciate the, the live feedback tonight. Thanks, John. And Wade. Take care. Thank you, Carl and Chris. Um, that, you know, one of the things about this is it does now make Wembley a travel destination for international fans. Listen, it's a big, big re- reason in the column of why we go back to a London. Like you're mm-hmm. talking a massive tourist hub. It, it coincides with a bank holiday. And listen, if you were someone that were maybe on the fence or not interested, you watch this show. I think there's going to be a heavy demand uh, for the following year. Uh, can they do 80,000? Like that's a really, really high benchmark that they have set that <laughs> it's like, if they sold like 68,000 tickets, like that will be painted as like some yeah. kind of dismal failure, which is insanity. Um, but I mean, that that's just how it kind of works is like, you always have to outdo your, your previous effort, but it's, I, 
I can't fault the idea of going back to to a London uh, as well. But it's I think at, at most you have really solidified all in as the brand of the big show. We now have your equivalent of not to say in stature of a WrestleMania, but they have their version of a WrestleMania. Now it's not this debate about forbidden door or all out. Like it is clear what is the number one show of the year. And it's, and it's this event that they can run a stadium with. Let's go up next to David McKenzie. Hey, David. Thanks for hey, John. Hey, way. How are you both? We're doing well. well. Yeah. So uh, interesting. You just talked there about the, um, the EW coming to London again next year. Uh, I see it very much like the NFL international series. that's now a staple in London. It draws international fans from Europe, you know, every year. And it looks like that's probably uh, what Tony Khan's going to lean on towards doing this as a similar event next year, maybe, you know, for the future as well. Um, but I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts very quickly because I was quite surprised Jack Perry dropped the title back to Hook uh, at the show. Um, and I kind of really wonder where, where Jack goes from here. It seems like he sort of was given a title and now he's just back in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, David. Um, it does feel like the nature of this push might have been a little bit rushed, but it also wouldn't surprise me that like he would move on to a bigger feud, maybe for uh, an uh, an actual title. At this point, we of course don't know the the status of like an, an orange chassis versus you know presumably John Moxley match at um, All Out, but I could see Jack Perry transitioning to an Orange Cassidy feud beyond that. You know what is that actual next step for a heel? There are a lot of other people for him to face. They could have perhaps, you know, gotten a, a, a few more weeks out of this uh, hook deal, but I think they achieved enough. And I have to say, like, especially, well, listen, backstage, whatever, like notwithstanding, uh, strictly on screen, I think he's done a great job of being a heel um, and has really kind of like effectively like, you know, sold himself as as a dislikable uh, person that that I, I no longer just see as Jungle Boy. Yeah, but everything that happened in the back, like that, is going to cloud everything with him. Like when AEW says they're investigating this, like they're they're like he might be on ice. Um, like we don't know, we don't know what his status is going to be. I think it's going to be the outcome is going to be less, um, connected to him versus uh everything that went on otherwise. Uh, unfortunately, but yeah, it was it was a lot cleaner of an ending than I was uh expecting of just a, a clean drop of the title to to the finisher and uh, and tapping out in, in the way he did. So it's. Yeah, it, it, it's a crossroads, but there may be other mitigating factors that are going to affect what his short term is. I'm assuming you were at the show today, David. Yeah, yeah, it was actually my first live event ever. So um, made it along to Wembley, came down from the, although I've got a Scottish accent, I live in the Midlands and in, in England now. So traveled down, staying in, a, in, in this hotel, as you can see in the back yeah. of me uh, tonight. So, yeah, it was a really good show. Fantastic event. You know, atmosphere was just electric. Um, and the one thing I think a lot of people in the crowd were expecting was maybe some more surprises. Like I think people were expecting maybe Mercedes Monet to to be some way involved in the show more than just the camera panning to her a couple of times. Um, but you know, th- there was no real expectations beyond what was on the card. I think maybe just when we're talking about for next year, the one thing I think Tony might want to think about is just building that card up way earlier you know if, if you're going to try and get to that eighty thousand mark again i think you get away with it because it's the first time i think next time around you're seriously going to have to build up those storylines to just get that fan interaction mm, agreed uh, thank you very much david for calling in thanks so much guys love what you do thank you david all right um let's go up next to spence hey spence 
Hey guys, how's it going? How you doing? Well, I'm assuming uh, you did not go to All In, judging by um, your background. I did not. I'm uh, in Vancouver, so it's a little bit of a long way. Um, first of all, first time, very long time, like since the Heroes of Wrestling one. Oh wow! Review. Wow. Our first yeah, so That's awesome. It's been a while. Um, we were yeah, like been five a times, so. The first time. I know. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> I listened every time too. <laughs> um, also, like the West Coast thing, I worked out perfectly perfectly for me today because um, obviously the F1 race was like right when it ended is when all in started, <laughs> so it was perfect. So I got up for the F1 race. Um, all of my question is, uh, what do you guys think of Jr.'s commentary tonight? I thought he uh, he was a little bit grumpy, but I thought he did quite well when he for coming back and. Everything. I mean, he's the greatest, but I thought he did pretty good today. Thank you, Spence, yeah. for the call. Thank you, Spence. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, he, uh, he he had his lines that were just kind of come with the the Jim Ross uh, style um, th- that is is pointed out. But I think for him, it's I mean, I'm sure this was a, you know, he, he's been back on collision for, for a couple of weeks. And I'm sure it was, uh, you know, this was a show that he was working towards coming back to to try and be on. And I think that when you isolate him to a handful of matches, that's that's probably like the best utilization. I, I nothing honestly stood out too much about Jim Ross to me today. Um, like nothing bad, not necessarily any, anything good either. I I I think like as sort of like a detraction and maybe just like you know to to pay uh, uh, sort of like to give this guy this legendary status uh, to put on your commentary desk. I'm really happy with the way that like you like know you got a pop when Ross. when the music played. Like that's you know for yeah. people like uh, David here who just called in. It's his first wrestling event. Like you got to remember like there are fans here who have probably never seen most of these performers live. Like a sting or yeah. even like a, a jim ross that has been a big part of their fandom for decades probably yeah i mean as a as a third or even sometimes fourth voice on the team just so that we can maybe check in and and get his sort of like presence uh for i i think he's perfectly like good and fine for the role i would i am curious to know if like they're they're planning on doing more like sit down interviews with him like i think we saw you know a few times um and, and to see if they they would transition him to maybe another role but um you know, for now, like, I think uh, Jim Ross should be on a show like this, you know? Um, all right, let's go. We are approaching the two-hour mark, everybody. So let's, uh, if we have a few more calls here. First one, let's go to Muggin. Hey, Muggin. The saga continues. The yes. saga continues. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of All In? It was very, it was, it was very much an enjoyable show. I mean, I want, and um, the main event especially was, oh, the, 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 the man, they really like, you know, had a flavor for the dramatic, especially during, especially during the, after that uh, first false finish. And I kept waiting for like, after the post-match to see if like something's going to happen. It turns out, it turns out the only swerve is that there's no swerve at all. And it looks like, you know, their AW is going to be rocking with this uh, Friedman Cole story a little bit longer, especially now that they're both uh, tag team champions now. And, yeah. uh, I don't know. Where, I don't know where. I don't know where MGF is going to go from here. For our, for what would you like to see, Muggin? What would be a match that, whether it's a tag match, whether it's a singles match with MGF, what would really entice you? Um, if you were not so sure if you want to order this pay per view, what would you like to see? I mean, I mean, they, they, they mean, they can't. I mean, they can't keep dancing around. You know, uh, they can't keep dancing around. You know, punk for, for very much for very long for much longer because you know they got to like do the unification. So, I mean, they, I mean, how long can you have? Two world championship, two world champions. Where one of them, when, when one of them claims they never lost a championship, and you have a man who has the title in MJF. So I mean, they have to circle back to that at some point. 
And um, I also want to make mention, Cole's gear is Cole's gear is inspired by Borderlands, which is excellent. It's very much in the vein of, of Handsome Jack, which is uh, one of the villains in the second game. And going on the rest of the show, um, I'd like to... Just one more point, Muggin. We do have a lot of uh, feedback to get to, unfortunately. Yes, yes. One more thing. Stadium Stampede was very, very good. I mean, I love the I love Pentis mid-match, you know, Cactus Jack, you know, transformation. That mm-hmm. was nice. And uh, I gotta say, and, uh, for Grand Sam for, uh, Grand, Grand and Arthur Ashe, I mean, I would love to see Claudio and Eddie Kingston have their match for the Ring Raw World title in Queens. And Eddie wins it. Because I want I mean, I yeah. to see that scene cave in when Kingston wins. All right, guys. Yeah, there's a there are a lot of uh, shows to build. Uh, final notes here from, from the press again. conference. From the press conference is uh, they're also now adding a pay per view on October first called Wrestle Dream in Seattle, which is going to be a tribute to Antonio Inoki, and also Full Gear is confirmed for Los Angeles on November eighteenth. As we can move on, uh, Paul is uh, connected. With us now. So, what did you think of the show tonight? Excellent. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was fantastic. Um, like I say, when we were in the car, the, the Sting's entrance for me was was unbelievable. Um, never having seen Sting live, it's just such an experience. It was fantastic, and I'll never forget it. It was brilliant. Was that your match of the show, the Coffin match? Um, I something think else? I, I probably agree with you. I really enjoyed the Jericho Osprey match. I thought that was fantastic. Um, also, the House of Black entrance was just mm-hmm. unbelievable. That was exceptional. Um, no, the, the whole thing. I mean, I had, didn't really have the best expectations going in, but I kind of find that's very common with AEW. And then the shows just are incredible. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was great. But I just wanted to, uh, again, uh, say thank you for all your G1 coverage this year. It was exceptional to everyone. So thank you. Much appreciated, Paul. Thanks a lot for calling in and uh, glad you enjoyed the show tonight. Cool. Thanks, John. Thanks. All right. Okay, we're going to go to uh, to one more call here before we get to your feedback and uh, the last voice of the night, unless we have any more run-ins. It is Brandon from New Jersey. Brandon, we're on a tight schedule. So what were your thoughts tonight on All In? Did you even watch All In? I did. I did. Uh, can you hear me? We can always hear you. Yes. Cool, cool, cool. I'll be real quick. Um, I thought the, because I don't want to take any of your time, by the way, uh, the Terry Funk obituary was uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank I, you. Much respect. Um, uh I'll be real quick. I thought the main event was kind of overcooked. I, I, a lot of uh, mellow, uh, uh, method acting. I mean, I mean, people rag on the bloodline stuff, and uh, they kind of took that, took it there. Uh, I, I'm probably uh, out of pocket and whatnot, but uh, I don't know. Uh, are are you going to go to All In It Two next year? Me? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Not All maybe. In. I ask All In It. <laughs> if it wasn't for the UPS uh, potential strike, uh, I might have uh, gone. Do you have any visa issues? Are you? Um, nah, no, no, no. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. Ba- I don't have any. I don't have a criminal record, or uh, my 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 uh, my uh, passport's all good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I thought that was it. I thought Swerve got job, man. I, his dreadlock was exposed. I mean, you let Sting go with the bat. I mean, come on, right? And, and, oh, because it was hanging out of the the coffin. Yeah, I mean, I, like, come on. <laughs> Well, this is a this is certainly a um, a point that he can raise. Maybe like Hornswoggle not being eliminated in the two thousand and eight Royal Rumble, <laughs> or uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, get eliminated at the Rumble. What's his name? Uh, <laughs> I forget. Uh, 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 and I was bummed that uh, we didn't get a Voodoo Kid Mafia Billy Gunn. Uh. <laughs> well, there's next year. They did you not hear they announced they're coming back to Wembley next year? Like you have a whole build now for uh, VKM. <laughs> seriously though they, but they should they, I, they should get i hope they get a dynamite and uh collision and uh and a rampage right i mean next year right 
shouldn't um, they bring the shouldn't they bring the whole thing over? I mean, I could certainly see. Like, I thought that was an interesting question this year. Like, do you try and do uh, some of your TV over here? Like, you would have incredible crowds, and I think, especially doing Collision the night before at a venue, um, I would I would certainly table that for for next year. I think it'd be a better idea than than just taping Collision. Like, it does add more, but I think they do really healthy with this amount of people in town that you could you could sell a yeah, a decent sized venue for a TV taping the night before. I mean, I feel it's an underserved market. Uh, I mean, you look at TNA and they were beloved in England and whatnot. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I think I think they deserve, uh, you know, the royal treatment uh, for <laughs> no pun intended. You know Thank you. And uh, one more thing, all the fireworks. It, it felt like a Yevgeny Paragosin uh, tribute <laughs> tonight. It was ridiculous, but uh, I could see it was their WrestleMania and whatnot. But uh uh, great show, guys. Love you guys. Way. Uh, hope you're okay with your internet. You look frozen, but uh, much love, I'm here. brother. I I'm love you. Guys. At your words, as you love you. So I love you. Guys. Goodbye. Thank Bye-bye. you, Brandon. As always. Okay. Um, thanks for all the calls, uh, all, all of you. I was going to say, especially those that attended live, but that would assume that I don't appreciate the other calls. All of you are appreciated. Um, so we will go into uh, feedback. Uh, we might have to condense these here because. Um, Way and I can only talk to each other for so many hours uh, per day. Uh, we start off here with Stinga, who says, uh, I attended today's show as a wrestling fan, a wrestling fan wanting to be a part of and to witness history. I don't watch AEW or really follow the product. I mainly follow WWE through your pro- podcast. Firstly, it was great to be surrounded by 80,000 wrestling fans and having a great night. Nothing better. And having been to multiple five-hour WWE shows, in contrast to those, this did not drag. It kept me entertained and laughing throughout. And there were some great matches. The main event, Coffin Match, Osprey and Jericho, to name a few. But controversial opinion time. In terms of the product itself, I couldn't get past the fact that I found the matches essentially to be a massive spot fest. I know this is a really easy and common indie wrestling criticism, but I felt it today. And uh, goes on to mention uh, some examples here with uh, Christian and Darby, the trios match. Why would I care about any damage being done to a body on this show if there's no consequences, there's no storytelling, and nothing really to get invested in? I would certainly say that there is there is storytelling that exists. I would say um, in the Young Bucks FTR match in CM Punk and Samoa Joe, I think there were a lot of callbacks, but that does require you to kind of be up to speed and have that sort of in your um, uh, recall of, you know, spots in previous matches and building off of uh, other things as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a larger opinion than we have time to table here. So we will go to Sal in California, who uh, writes, I really enjoyed the show from top to bottom. Favorite match was FTR and the Young Bucks. Those four could do no wrong when paired together. I love being able to watch a morning pay-per-view. It's now 2 p.m. in my time zone, and I can enjoy some daylight. Well, Sal, um, maybe you will at least get one of these next year with an afternoon pay-per-view and probably some from WWE as well. Cav from Glasgow. Uh, FTR and Bucks was easily the best match I've ever seen live. He was at the show. It's my first time seeing either team live. They absolutely delivered. We had ramp side seats. Nice. Uh, So we got the best view in the house for Stadium Stampede. Loved every second and hope the energy came across on television. It definitely did. Uh, The show was perfectly bookended by MJF and Adam Cole. The tag match was okay, but wow, that main event was incredible. While we all suspected a turn, the ending was perfect. Hats off to both of these men and and same time next year. See you gents then. Uh, but now I'm off to Har- off to Harrow to meet the BDE. Uh, well, there you go. Hopefully you're all in one piece by the time you come out of uh, their post-show party. 
Eric from Cork, who is currently in Wembley. Uh, this is great to have all this uh, live feedback from people. Fun show live with a great main event. That is probably the best example of pulling off a match filled with bullshit. And why am I so violent moments that I've ever seen forever? Also enjoyed the coffin match, stadium stampede, Joe and Punk, and Prince Nana's little dance to the ring. Fozzy were atrocious live, and I didn't think the match that followed was much better for a number of reasons. Okay, I, Concert, you can have your opinion. I think the match, I think you'd be in the minority on that one, but to each his own. Giving Soraya the women's belt is idiotic and is only going to drag the division down further if they don't take it off her quickly. Oh, okay, well, there. Not a fan of Soraya winning the championship. Cody from Maine, he writes, the matches delivered from the pre-show to the main event. The crowd delivered with very few moments of evident fatigue. I wouldn't be surprised to see next year's show do another gigantic number after the success of this one. In regards to All Out, all I can say is good luck to those on the card, all six of them so far. Very intrigued to see just what they promote in the coming week to try and stop the show from seeing a record low number of buys. Well, All Out is, uh, they've got their work cut out for them this week, Way. Yeah, I don't predict a, a record low buy rate. Um, We'll see, dude. Like we've known the we know this audience um is very savvy, and um if they present a good enough card, even in a short amount of time, I think it could do relatively successful. Uh, Chris writes, I think every match delivered many exceeded expectations, especially Joe and Punk, which I wasn't anticipating having not been a fan of their Owen Hart tournament match. This was significantly better. But overall, I was a little let down that the only newsworthy thing that happened was backstage antics that shouldn't have happened. No official debut, no return, no major angle, and most importantly, nothing set up for All Out or even Dynamite. I don't remember a single pay-per-view that hasn't had something drawing fans to Wednesday. It was just a little surprising. I'm not as uh, critical about setting up your free television. Um but all out, yeah, certainly I think you you want to have a direction coming out of it that even if not announced, you kind of know, okay, these are all the, the key directions that you can see. And beyond like Omega and Takeshita and, you know, to a lesser degree, Moxley and Cassidy, to me, those aren't, those aren't the matches that are selling the pay-per-view next week. They're nice complimentary, like higher matches on the card, but they're not to me the, like the the weight of the card has yet to be announced. The punk match is most interesting to me because you have a collision to do your heavy that's building right. and that's the day before. So I wonder if they'll use dynamite to announce something for CM Punk. They you, should, they should not be waiting till the night before. That would be crazy. Or just even like maybe something you throw online. You um, just announce on Monday or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe like, beyond the two matches um, that they added. I don't believe there've been any other announcements for the pay-per-view. Um, next one here is from, uh, Ben who says, uh, I was at both Rev pro and all in, um, all in was a spectacle. I'm interested to see how loud the crowd was on TV. The main event was today was fantastic. Great storytelling from Cole and MJF. I didn't know what was going to happen. Other highlights for me were the tag title match and Osprey against Jericho. I was a bit down on Jericho being against Osprey beforehand, but happy to be proven wrong. Rev pro was great too. And a much better view for me, uh, was a bit far away. Will against Shingo at Rev pro was immense as you'd expect. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely write my thoughts in the, in the update tomorrow, but yeah, Will and Shingo was really great. Not their best, um, but it was a really entertaining match for the live crowd. But I thought the, the match that I saw the most buzz for was uh, uh, Ishii and Luke Jacobs. Um, you know, to me, it was like a career-making match for Luke Jacobs. Um, so someone to, I, I think, beyond just British fans will kind of have their eyes on. And it was awesome atmosphere, like 4,000 people at the Copper Box Arena. Um, well, it just... It, it felt like I, it was their biggest show by far. So, um, and definitely had a lot of uh, buzz for it, uh, piggybacking. And the last word goes to a Brian from New Jersey. Uh, I feel that some matches had time and could have been devoted. To, uh, some matches could have had time devoted to others. Stadium Stampede to me was a combination of diminishing returns and too many close calls. I'm glad Penta wasn't actually hurt. And I liked how it ended. The first three matches in the main event were my favorites 
of the night. All right. And there are um, all of our feedback questions and calls. And quickly, just going over, this is what we do have for All Out next week with Luchasaurus and Darby Allen for the TNT title, Miro against Powerhouse Hobbs, Chris Statlander against Ruby Soho for the TBS title, Orange Cassidy against uh, either, well, it'll be Orange Cassidy or Penta defending the international title against John Moxley and Kenny Omega against Kanosuke Takeshita. More announcements to come uh, in the days and week to come. Uh, but there you go. That is All In. One of our three pay-per-views in a eight-day span. Seven-day uh, span. That is right. Yeah, we'll be very busy next weekend, as we will for the rest of time. Uh, but right now, um, go and go to postwrestling.com and uh, take some time out to read John Pollock's uh, very well-researched write-up on the career of Terry Funk. Um, so, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was, uh, I was very happy to put that story out and, uh, a lot of, uh, some, some great editing assistance from the great Neil Flanagan, who's been our, our correspondent tonight from the press conference. I mean, the man is just, uh, uh, a true hero, mm-hmm. Neil Flanagan, yeah. not, not too elderly looking either, by the way, <laughs> took you a second there. Go on. I'm more on top of your shows <laughs> than you are. I didn't think you listened. So way I listen to everything you do. Okay. Um, so there you go, everyone. We went super long tonight, but we, uh, we appreciate all of the feedback and love to hear from people, um, that were at the show. I would say overall, this was a very successful night for AEW. It remains mm-hmm. to be seen what, what the buys come in at, but I mean, certainly, uh, AEW moving forward, like this was a big, big success for them to the point that they have booked the, the stadium for a year out. And you will have a lot of people coming out of this, whether they attended or not, that will build, uh, trips around this for next year i think like there was only positive buzz for it and um and for a lot of reasons they're probably picking a very safe city to try this again at in a year's time yeah and we may have conflicting opinions on whether the labor day tradition is uh as wise a repeat but we will see what happens next week and uh lots to come check out postwrestling.com and way and i will be back monday night immediately after raw and if you can't get enough of us do join postwrestlingcafe.com, multiple bonus shows per week. Uh, This week, we will be doing an Ask Away mailbag show where you send in any and all questions of any variety and Way and I go through each one with some of the best, most thought out analytical answers you could find. And that will be out on Thursday. Every Friday, we're live at 10 Eastern after Rewind to SmackDown. And of course, the great Kate from Montreal and John Cena live Saturday nights with Collision Course uh, to get you all set. And uh, they will be going head to head with us next Saturday because we got payback Saturday and then all out on Sunday night. But you know what? That's why God created 24 hours in a day where you can just, you can fit it all in. There's never enough wrestling. There's never enough wrestling chatter about wrestling. So thank you to everybody for joining us. And thank you to way for being a trooper tonight as he is, uh, he's got the death look uh, on his face, but we all appreciate um, the man's dedication to bringing you the best show possible. So a big thank you to way and to all of you. Goodbye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 